0: Hi folks. I'm Adrian Sanabria, the host of Enterprise Security Weekly. Every week we interview the most interesting folks we can find talking about the most pressing cybersecurity issues and challenges facing the enterprise today. Myself and my co host have each been in the industry for decades, long enough to see the patterns in the industry and explore where trends are going. In addition to enterprise challenges, we also follow the vendor space, the most interesting security startups emerging, technology and product trends, all of the most interesting funding and acquisition announcements. Finally, we love to discuss the latest trends in tech and how they'll impact cybersecurity. If you're wondering how the latest in AI, quantum computing, cloud, and DevOps is going to impact security a few years down the road, you should follow the Enterprise Security Weekly Podcast.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. Register for an official Cybersecurity Summit at securityweekly.com forward slash cybersecurity summit using the code SecWeek23 and get $100 off admission. If you want links to all of my social media outlets, you can visit my website, securitypodcaster.com. I make <clears throat> excuse me, daily posts to Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Featuring funny tech memes, clips from uh, this show, uh, <clears throat> Man the Below the Surface show, as well as other informative and entertaining posts. And some of them are even good. Some of them are even good. <laughs> I mean, some are better than others, right? Like, right. I'm not going to lie. Like, and sometimes the algorithm takes a post and kind of, eh, and sometimes it takes a post and it's like, whoosh, it's like over 200,000 impressions. And then I got like really excited. It's kind of like playing slot machines, right? Yep pulling the arm and sometimes you win big and and sometimes you don't but i appreciate everyone's help uh if you you have your favorite social media uh outlet if you would uh follow me and then uh hopefully you're
0: entertained same same (laughs) i mean i have not been doing the daily post i was doing it for a little bit and then uh well some rounds of vacations and other stuff happened so i am gonna get back to it yeah i hit a little bit
1: of a lull, um, because a little inside uh, scoop, right?
0: A little inside baseball. Yeah, inside
1: baseball. Like uh, some of them like Twitter, and, and others like more posts per day, and some of them like Facebook and um, LinkedIn don't like as many posts per day. Mm. I'm trying to find the right uh, you know, balance between those. I'm also trying to tweak the content a little bit for each outlet, which is that's the most time consuming yep. uh, part. Um, so I'm trying to put a little more context on my LinkedIn post because I think they uh, they do better. Um, but yeah, I like uh, I like sharing what's out there. I am still working on Flipper Zero stuff. It's taken some time, but I've got I've got content that I'm working on on the Flipper Zero. Larry and I were talking about some of the stuff um, that I've been working on and he's been working on with the related to the Flipper, trying to understand that platform and some of its limitations. Um, basically, a, a lot of it like makes you just want to go out and get a, a Proxmark mark and a hack RF, and yep,
0: it's a it's the gateway drug. Yes, it's totally the gateway drug.
1: <laughs> it, but it also, but on the flip side of that, huh, see what I did there? Uh, it's it's a good thing for those getting into the field, right? Yep, a little more accessible. But also for more seasoned pros that are familiar with all of the more serious RF hacking
0: stuff, yep. it's also something we can take with us wherever we go. Yeah, like you know, this, like, this, that's this what I like about, about it. This fits in your pocket. And yeah. It's, Like, it'll catch some hello hanging fruit and fun little toy to, you know, what's that saying? You know, a a bored hacker is a dangerous hacker. Well, it'll take away some of your boredom and maybe be a little dangerous at the same
1: time. Yeah. Use it responsibly. (laughs) Certainly, I think anything we talk about the flipper, use it responsibly. Any hacking tool. Any hacking tool, certainly. But also, one question that I had, and I'll post to the audience and the host here on the podcast is, I don't have it. Speaking speaking of hosts, uh, do we have anybody else? Yeah. Lee Neely is here with us uh and i want your opinion on this as well lee so yes. if you've got the infrared hacking um so i've got an add-on board that mm-hmm. adds um is the LED higher, po- higher crystal- power led what do you uh, call
0: them the diodes
1: it, crystals what would you it's call a, them it's
0: a an led it's an it's, it's an led It emits light yeah yep. um yeah. so it's got infrared seven led
1: seven of those Yep. uh so it I think it's so. It's am- technically a diode because that's diode. Okay, that's what that I was calling. Them. I wanted yep. to make sure that was the right term. Um, but it uh, casts a, a wider yep. uh, band it, and it also f- an amp- amplify better
0: signal. What? So yes, yeah, some of those will be wider in their aperture, and right. some of them will be narrower, but more distance. more distance.
1: Yes. And so, with that, if you could control infrared devices as part of a pen test, let's say, mm-hmm. how would you use that? I posed that question. I didn't get a lot of responses on social media yet. My initial thought is in a uh, physical assessment, it could be a distraction. If mm-hmm. let's say you need the security guard to get up for a moment and distract them and there's a wall of TVs, you yep. know, you know 10, 10, 15 feet away from the security guard. If you were to turn off all those TVs, maybe that would get someone's attention and, and provide a distraction, right? But so I'm curious to see what everyone else thinks so, about. Like, is there a practical
0: usage for the some infrared? Of, some of them, uh, right. depending on uh, the cameras that are in use, mm-hmm. uh, if they are night vision, mm-hmm. um, well, you could potentially right. provide enough. You just put it near your face, and now you have this glowing thing near your face, and they sure. wouldn't be able to observe that it's you. <clears throat> um, I'm kind of hard-pressed to think about some of the things that you could... Actually, control via IR. TVs are a big one. There might be some thermostats.
2: Remember when they were IR keyboards?
0: Yep, IR keyboards. That was a long time ago. Remember when um, the Macs used to come with remotes? Yeah. Yeah, those remotes were also IR. Right. Yeah, chances you'll find those things around, though. (laughs) Yeah. I'm
1: trying to make some of the stuff more practical so that we're not just... You know, like some people uh, suggested, oh, go into Best Buy and just turn off all the TVs. Like, dude, we okay. I get that, right? Go to Vegas and turn it off. Wait, okay. I get that, but wait, 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 we're doing wait, that wait, with TV Be Gone. And that, like, okay, so you can do you, that, like, and you've done Josh that. I'm like, sorry. Go ahead, Josh.
3: Can you, can you set? Is there anything like a Roku or an Apple TV or anything that still uses IR? And my question is if you could set them to receive. Uh, to receive files like like an airdrop type thing or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh. And, uh, if if you can uh, uh, cast, if you can cast files or check what is cast, to see uh, effectively, if you can put the Roku, I'm just going to call it a Roku for ease of use. If you call, if you can put the Roku under your control, can you see what files have been cast to it? Can you see what over infrared, have Over touched? infrared, maybe. Well, no. I, I, well, infrared is a remote control. I, I, if there are any of these devices that still use infrared for remote, I don't know. I mean, my my Apple TVs use Wi-Fi, um, or they don't use Wi-Fi. Sorry, but they they two point four. Um,
1: they use a, a radio frequency. Yes.
3: Yeah. Thank you. So yes,
1: I couldn't
4: think. So of my words. rhetorical question is: Why would you bother with any of this, since you know that Active
1: Directory isn't locked? Live- <laughs> Good question. Maybe well, it's your maybe
0: it's your gateway to Active Directory.
1: Yeah, it's a, a physical access, uh, Jeff. Not yeah. Point well taken. Well, anyway. I, don't,
4: I don't believe in physical access penetration testing, so I'll shut up now. All
1: right, maybe that's a debate for another time. But yeah, <clears> um, <throat> we have a whole topic segment on that—a whole two months dedicated to social engineering and physical testing, Jeff. So nice. make sure you're here oh, for that. Um, oh boy, so, <laughs> oh boy, uh, my story number two. Oh, before before we get there, oh, we didn't talk about um the passing of kevin mitnick uh i made i was gonna say
4: we should start with that because we learned about it just as we were dropping
1: yeah the show ended and then we learned about it so we didn't talk about it last week and i have seen so many posts from uh the community and i just everyone did a wonderful job um you know Mm -hmm. finding their pictures that they had with kevin and uh talking about uh how they knew kevin their experiences with kevin which i think is appropriate you know when when someone passes and um, I, I do feel really bad, and I, I miss Kevin. I like I like Kevin. I always thought it was a night he was always good to me, as, yep. as I said,
0: e- even despite those early days with putting the put Kevin back stickers and on it. I, I, I
1: told that story. Yep. I put it out there on my, on my social media that uh, one time at ShmooCon, Larry and I in cohorts were drinking at like an 06 or 07 Schmookhon and yeah
0: there was definitely alcohol involved definitely
1: alcohol involved and someone had these stickers that said put Kevin, Kevin back yep. and i put one on the back of my hat and then i was in a talk that they was doing trivia and Kevin Mitnick was sitting in front of me and i answered one of the trivia questions and they said come up and claim your prize and i walked in front of Kevin and he obviously saw uh, mm-hmm. the sticker and years later when Kevin and i interacted um, I was like kevin i'm I'm really really sorry and we just had a good laugh about it right cuz he he had he had a good sense of humor and i rem-
0: and i remember and someone
1: uh, also said in the comments that Kevin thought those were just funny like yep. he had and, good sense of and humor I, and i
0: remember it. someone putting one on his back while he was yeah. sitting at dinner and cuz we were sitting yes. like right next to him and someone yes. put him on his back and like someone said something to him like an hour later and he took it off and he's just like yeah okay whatever fun fun
1: right right yeah he was <laughs> well i mean he was very appreciative of the hacker uh, community for sure you yeah. know now uh, well there's there no such thing as bad publicity
4: right right Right, it's
0: and, true, and and that said, um, I think Kevin was a huge inspiration to so many people mm. in our industry, and he inspired so many folks to get into our industry. Um, he likely got the short end of the stick from the justice system because it they did. wanted to make an example out of someone, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it was it was him.
1: Not to say that he didn't he didn't do things that were wrong, yep. and he came on this show actually and and said that and yep. I'm I'm sorry for those things. Um, also, I we don't often talk about it. we talk about the cuckoo's egg, right? Right. Um, but mm-hmm. there was actually two books that I read very early on in my career. Take It was Takedown, down yep. Kimura, right? Yep. Um, yep. And so th- that was. Um, Hugely influential for myself and many, sure. many others that are in this field and getting into this field, certainly. Yep. So,
0: and, and one other thing that I wanted to, I, I mean, I know uh, one of the folks that I've interacted with or I've observed some com- communications with about Kevin is, and it's not just Kevin, while Kevin inspired so many folks in our industry and he admittedly, he said he did bad things, there are people that were victims of those bad things. Correct. And some of those knew Kevin, and never liked Kevin because they were, in fact, victims. Victims, uh, right? Uh, of that. Uh, that said, those people also said that, yeah, you don't wish passing on anyone, regardless if you'd been right. a victim, and right. certainly not in the ways that that no. happened to Kevin.
1: No, so, I mean, it, well,
0: it was pancreatic it was. cancer,
1: which is very fast-moving and extremely yeah. deadly, and just it's an awful. Yep. Thing.
4: Well, it's, it's fast moving only in the context of it is detected usually wait when it's wait. already mm. you know, stage four. Um, and, and, Larry, I appreciate you. I, I've been very conflicted over the last week because I, I've been very vocal about not liking Kevin Mitnick, but I never met him and yep. now I never have the opportunity to meet him. But, you know, I was working for the DOD at the time when Kevin was doing his things that got him in trouble and, uh, you know, so I was, uh, I was coming more from the perspective of being, uh, you know, on the side of good, doing the things the right way type of stuff. And, and, um, I, I'm very conflicted because I, you know, having not ever met him. And so I don't know him personally, didn't know him personally. And I've, I've seen all the testimonials and mm-hmm. people, the remembrances and things like that. And, um, uh, you know, but, but, and I don't, I don't want to discount that. And, and I and and I believe in redemption, and I believe people should get a second chance and all that. It, it, but it, it, what I'm still stuck on is the the idea of um, you know somebody that you know did something illegal, bad. You know, you know he wasn't the only one. He just happened to get caught. He was a, a scapegoat. He was made an example of. I can see all that, but uh, there's been others. Mm -hmm. That, uh, you know, that have gone on and and made their fame and fortune riding on the fact that they did something illegal. I, I, I still haven't resolved that in my head. I want to. But uh, I mean, you know, but I, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of reflecting over the last week because I'm like, yeah, I got, you know, everybody's saying all sorts of wonderful things about Kevin Mitnick and I've always hated him even having not met him because he represented the bad side, the dark side, mm-hmm. and, and, he's, he, and he's profited off of his reputation of doing something bad and evil. Yeah. And, and I've known, so, you know, dare say myself included, have been on the side of right and don't share the same a acclaim and and fame and fortune and all that not that i want it but but that's where i'm kind of conflicted i'm mean, i'm just putting it out there i'm i'm trying to be honest um you know now i'll never have the chance to meet him and find out oh yeah, he really is a great guy uh, yeah. i'll yeah. take everybody. I mean, my, my
1: testament that is, you know Hugh Ball is and I, I do believe in in redemption um i think uh you know there's a lot of examples of that yeah. Sammy the Ball but, has a podcast that's it's really good and basically tells his life story, right? And he, you know, he, like Kevin, he admits I did bad things. Yep. Sorry made, for those I made, bad things. I made mistakes. And I made mistakes. Yeah. Yep.
0: And uh, I, yeah, I, so
4: I still I, don't like no before. But I,
0: a, I, well, I had I had two yeah. interactions with, with Kevin. Uh, one early on in those Shmukhan days, mm. and he was uh, super patient with me as kind of a noob and, and that type of stuff. So super patient, super friendly, um, as much as he could be because he was, you know, you know being gathered by throngs of people because he was Kevin. Right. <clears throat> um but in in later years there was an indirect interaction. He was working on a test with a uh with a mutual friend <clears throat> and something happened on that test and the mutual friend said, "I know. I'll call Larry. He'll know the Larry's, answer." Yep. And Kevin's response, I heard it found out later that Kevin's response was, "Why would you call that guy? He doesn't know anything." I don't even know who this is. Why would he know anything? And uh, turns out the advice that I gave this mutual friend actually worked and Kevin got it to work because of the things that I said because I knew what I was talking about. Um, and I'd like to believe that knowing from and hearing what I've heard from from folks about Kevin, that if we had a chance to meet today, he said, and given that situation, he says, yep, I was wrong. You didn't know what you're mm. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Willing to admit that he had made a mistake. Yeah. Yep. Um, I want to talk
1: about something that really grinds my gears. Larry may may disagree. Yep. I don't know, but
0: yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, and I know ex- I exactly know where you're going with this. So, so my story
1: number two is titled "Peloton Bugs Expose Enterprise Networks to IoT Attacks."
0: Now, uh, uh, who the fuck puts a Peloton in their office in their right. in their enterprise office? <laughs>
1: now, right. <laughs> right. I don't want to okay. discount what the researchers discovered because what I what I read about briefly about the research is that these are Android devices, yep. they suffer from vulnerabilities, and yep. it seemed, and it, again, on the surface, it seemed the team did a great job, right? Like they got accepted at Black Hat, I believe, uh, and they're gonna be talking about it and all that stuff, and I, they likely deserve that, right? I haven't read their research paper. I don't know that they've published, there's a couple of pieces of research actually out there they were covering this week, where we haven't got a chance to read the full research. If Black Hat has accepted it, likely it's really good research, right? Yep. Um, but but uh, I said like Sterling, Ster, Sterling, whatever. Oh that God, yeah. I, well, likely, yeah. I said likely. I said likely. You know, historically, what, the majority one, of, one out of
0: a thousand. Jeff, come on. <laughs>
1: I said like more than likely. Um, yeah. Pay to play. Could whatever. be. Because, I mean, there are those situations, which is why I didn't say hundred percent of the time. Yeah. But more than likely, it's good research. Um, and but the way it's being spun in the media is what irritates me. Is that what they're yeah. And I don't know necessarily it's so much what the researchers are saying it could be what i believe checkpoint uh is saying because i think this was a checkpoint research group and now the media is putting a spin on that essentially it's not in the office in the i live in my home and i travel to an office and there's a peloton bike there that i get to use this is i work from home and on my home in my home and on my home network there's a peloton bike Mm -hmm. and attackers will I go after the Peloton bike using these vulnerabilities. Yep. Compromise the Peloton bike and then compromise the enterprise network. I think that's a little. I mean, it's not a. I'm not discounting that I mean,
3: as an attack. Remember pack. the JavaScript shim. <clears throat> you know when you when you walk to your when you go to a a, a Starbucks or a, or a little cafe and they'd shim your java a javascript rather and they'd uh, they'd shim something in your browser and all of a sudden when you get back to the office guess what you've just opened i mean this is a similar sort of i'm not saying it's the same thing but it's a similar sort of concept so
4: yeah but again and it's it's, and it's not a new concept i mean the i I mean you know 20 years ago i had a client that um they had an incident because one of their um Managers, exec, you know, employees had a had a laptop that he took home, and he would plug into the home Wi-Fi, and that was back in the days where split tunneling was a big deal, VPNs and all that kind of stuff. But the the mere fact that he was on a home network with his laptop, and he wasn't VPN'd in, but he picked up a. Yeah, you know, we didn't call it malware back in those days. He picked up a Trojan, he picked up a virus, and then he walked the, the, the laptop into his office and plugged in and got on the corporate network and infected yeah, bring, the network.
0: Bring in your certified the, no, pre-owned device. That, that's,
4: I mean, this—it's not a new concept that you know, working at home uh, attaching to home networks or boutiques or Starbucks or whatever—is—is
1: a—is that a vulnerability, a threat, or a risk? Yeah, potentially all of the above. But so. I want to separate the devices on your home network from the device that gives you internet access in your home because I think right. the threat models are certainly different. Yeah, And so I put a lot more weight on vulnerabilities that are targeting the gateway device, for yep. to use an all-encompassing term, yeah. because that my traffic is going through that device to get to mm-hmm. where I'm going to the enterprise. And we've seen numerous attacks that are attacking these devices and could absolutely manipulate manipulate, get to the goal of compromising the enterprise network much more cleanly and quickly than if I were to compromise a device on someone's home network. I want to also point Mm -hmm. out, everyone has a lot of devices Mm -hmm. on their home network. That mileage varies, but you have a lot of devices on your home network that could do the same thing in this Peloton thing. It could be whatever is attached to your home network could be compromised as uh, an attacker. Then you got to make the leap to that person's laptop or device mm-hmm. and then figure out a way to get into the enterprise right. network from there. <clears throat> certainly possible, certainly possible, yep. but not often the path <coughs> of least resistance. No, now, definitely also not. talk about Android. If I want to target a, a user and I want to target an Android device, maybe i will try and target their phone cuz that's you know <laughs> there's a lot more android phones than there are peloton devices out there well, and don't the vulnerability is just an android powered
2: TVs and yeah it, it,
1: but the uh, i think eyes. one of the differences is and i don't know but iPhones i'm not sure where the market share would fall on people that work for an enterprise and have and have a phone if it's android or it's ios or it's an apple phone right mm-hmm. And I don't want to. Uh, there's a big like uh, you, there's studies out there that show like which ones are more vulnerable than others. Certainly, there's a lot of older Android yep. devices out there. Mm-hmm. I, uh, a lot of these appliances or IOT devices that run Android may not have the same security controls as a phone, correct? Yeah, certainly, that, like I, I can guarantee they don't. And, but but yeah. certainly, like, you're if you've got a really crappy Android device, yep. maybe, but if you've got a, a Pixel or even a Samsung it's in a lot better shape security wise than typically Mm -hmm. your uh, Peloton device or your treadmill. I have a treadmill at home that actually runs Android and it's probably horrible, horrible security. In fact, I think I've done some scanning of it. I was like, that's a really old Android and maybe they also don't put in, uh, you know, this, this is an example of in a lot of different scenarios. Yes, we are using Android on our device. However, how you configured Android is not the same way Google configures Android on its Pixel devices. Google takes advantage of all of the <coughs> software and hardware security that's available. I don't say all, probably most, um, whereas another manufacturer like Peloton may not take advantage of all of those security devices however i still think it's just like a really big leap to say this is a big threat out there now that attackers are going to start going after your peloton devices and compromise your enterprise network i think it's far easier ways to compromise both the home users environment you know home office user remote worker environment and the enterprise than to go you know what I'm gonna find an exploit for your Peloton again, your Peloton, and then from your Peloton, I'm gonna jump into your router or your your laptop. <clears throat> All right. I'm I have gonna, to gonna, work, you
0: work in the this, head I'm, gonna, I'm gonna offer some commentary here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. is so thinking about this article, you know, in FUD, like, oh my god, they're gonna hack your Peloton and get on the enterprise network. Yes, this is an absolutely viable attack path. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I agree. But my question would be, is you know, and, and trying to get around some of the FUD would be, how are they going to get to the Peloton first? Like, they've got to get on your Wi-Fi network. Right. Or they've got to yeah, have but physical... That's
4: not first, Larry. Okay. They've got to identify that you work for particular, you know, organization eh, that they're easy. targeting.
0: That's easy. And
4: you, that... you have a Peloton. It's easy, easy. but it's easy, but... It's, it's, right. it, there, there's a work factor. Wait,
0: let, let's, let's go with the crime of opportunity or, uh, you know, crime of opportunity as opposed to a targeted attack.
5: All right.
4: Hey. So they're, they're trolling around the internet and they find a Peloton device and it's, it's some schmuck that, you know, they're vulnerable yep. and it turns out that schmuck's an executive at Acme, apply, so you know, the, Acme. Let me, let
0: me go through, let me go through the scenario. Okay. Sure, absolutely. Is it is it a, a valid way to do the attack? Sure. There's probably a whole bunch of things that need to happen first, as Jeff, you were alluding to. you got to find the Peloton. you got to find somebody that works for the company if it's a target attack. But in many cases, like who cares what company they work for? It's still a company. Yeah, you've got to get access to the Peloton. And I think reading some of this article was kind of interesting. One, they said, yeah, the Peloton is an Android device. It's three versions behind with Android 10. Um, So there's likely a thousand potential vulnerabilities in the Android operating system itself and so forth. But what I think the folks from Checkpoint really found was that it wasn't an issue with Android for this particular research. It was either with the API Mm -hmm. for the Peloton, which may have been accessed at, say, peloton.com, giving you access to a peloton device mm-hmm. through the API so there's some of your access problem and I'm and I'm speculating here
4: would would it be fair to say to conclude Larry in what you're saying that this was an implementation issue
0: I don't know well
4: that,
1: that, the, API
0: that could the, 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 the
1: peloton the peloton is uh Android 10
0: yes I said that
1: Android 13 is yeah the okay, latest version. three, three versions yeah. behind, three behind version yeah.
0: 10 yeah, but the other one that I know that I sort of noted was that they found some specific issues with the Peloton app itself. Mm-hmm. So first-party code that Peloton wrote—that is Peloton's problem, not an Android problem. Mm-hmm. So you know, lots of things here. Now, is there some fud in saying, "Oh my gosh, we're going to compromise your IoT device, and then we're going to get access to your enterprise network"? Yeah, there's lots of more work you're going to need to do there. And you, yes. you and, and Paul, you brought up the, well, it's my router and my traffic goes through the router. Well, this is an Android device. It's essentially a a Nix kernel underneath. Mm-hmm. And if we've got access well, to
1: it... It's Linux, but I use the term Linux loosely when yep, referring to Yeah, It's a Nix
0: yeah. kernel, yeah. right? Um, we can install Nix derivative tools. Uh, mm-hmm. And if that is on the same physical network like... Many folks' IoT devices are on the same freaking Wi-Fi network as their enterprise laptop because they've been working from home since COVID and they have no desire to go back to the office. You can start doing traffic manipulation. That now your traffic can go through the Peloton before it makes it to your router. Sure, you now have other issues with encrypted higher-layer protocols mm-hmm. and VPNs and HTTPS. And Are all the apps going to be using that stuff? I really hope so, and it's probably going to be most of them but now you're also on the same network as that other device and maybe there are opportunities for you to interact with that that device uh, directly on the same LAN again in a good secured device from an enterprise probably not so much
5: Mm -hmm.
0: i have two
4: questions for you larry yeah um my first question is uh you know as as an, an attacker pen tester um how often are you Uh, Or how often does the industry, good guys or bad guys, uh, attack over the cellular cellular networks versus the Internet?
0: That's a great question. Um, And I'm really, honestly,
4: this isn't a setup. I'm really just curious.
0: Yeah, no, no, I... um, That's that becomes a really sticky situation
1: Mm. because of all the different protocols. I mean, I mean, if you're largely
0: you you do IP over cellular, like we we know we can we can do that. That's that is a huge question. Right.
4: Um, I mean, I would assume that most people that own Pelotons just have it attached to their home network. But if it's an Android, potentially it's just connecting over cellular. Likely does not. No, likely does not. But likely doesn't. Yep. But it could. Mm. And, and as we're talking about other devices, Android versus Apple.
0: Let's put it this way: If it is cellular, it is a device put out there on one of the cellular networks, and it mm. is potentially directly connected to those inner those networks and is left to the security of what those providers allow into their networks from sure. outside. I mean, it's yeah, whatever sure. whatever Verizon Wireless allows into the Verizon Wireless IP space. Usually, it's not. Usually it's Wi-Fi right. and you, you yep. interact right. with the... But, well, Jeff Jeff has a question about cellular. Mm. Um, so whatever Verizon allows into their IP space for their their Verizon network and whatever protections are on the device itself, like a local firewall. And right. how often so, so as a pen tester? Probably never because it tends to be out of scope. Um, it is likely that many of the devices that would, we would encounter in that are going to be personally owned, which are off the table. Gotcha. But um, attackers don't have but. those same rules, or our adversaries don't have those mm. same rules. They don't. They don't have that statement of work. They don't ha- aren't bound by ethics and laws.
4: They don't. But uh, but the old uh, uh, aphorism. Uh, you know, hackers, bad guys, or I shouldn't say hackers, I, 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 adversaries. I'm I, correcting myself, adversaries, they're always going to follow the path of least resistance, because why wouldn't you? They're likely not ever going to need to go that far as to yep. go after the cellular networks, because and, there's and, too many rich targets in, in the yeah. internet and, and, you know, and environment.
0: And the, the cellular one becomes a whole other animal unto itself. So... So so my second question, sorry, Lee, sorry, let me ask my second
4: question, Lee, and and then then I will yield the floor. Um, Okay, so all this exists, you know, we're talking about whether it's hype or not, but, uh, you know, it's technically feasible, probably real to some degree, maybe overhyped. But Mm -hmm. as an enterprise, what can you do about it? (laughs)
0: That's a great question. Um, I, I would argue the only things that you can do about it are able to appropriately secure those those devices that are within your control such as those enterprise assets that are at the locations like at the gym or at the at starbucks or in your employees home when they're doing working from home um you the only part arguably that you can control is that device or you Mm -hmm. start providing separate internet connections which you control to your employees unlikely expensive Mm -hmm. Um, so you control the device that you can your enterprise asset uh, with appropriate configuration, lack of split tunnel VPNs. You want access to com- regular resources. It's got to be on a VPN. Um, uh, all of the endpoint protection things that you can do, um, you know, identity
1: it, and access management too. Yep. Uh, I w- yep. I think it's the the first thing my <clears throat> my brain goes to is, <coughs> you know, you Great. have to <laughs> authenticate, use multi factor, and you have to have a system that identifies which devices <clears throat> your employees are logging in from and doing some assessment of those of those devices even if that's just hey an employee has never logged in from this device before you know therefore they have to provide all the bells and whistles to authenticate but also maybe they don't have access to the things that they normally do from mm-hmm. a more trusted device such as the company issued uh, laptop
0: yep yeah
3: all right Lee you mean step up oh. authentication, step up yeah. and, and reduce authorization depending on gr- uh, dynamic factors? Oh my God, Lee, How you sound a lot this? like Josh.
1: I think that's uh, I, I, beyond, well, it's I, Google's I, like beyond channeling. identity,
2: that whole that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So, Lee, Lee, Lee. so I was well, I was going to say a couple things. I did a little bit of looking up. The Pelotons are only uh, connected via uh 11 or wired internet. Um, Okay. the uh so the cellular option isn't there at this time, but what strikes me you know with the peloton isn't there that it
0: isn't it doesn't exist, exist from it's peloton not available back.
2: but okay. yeah the the cellular modem's not there in a way that can be used on the peloton um, yeah or it's just yeah, probably, not in, <laughs> probably not prominent on the yeah, hardware at all correct <clears throat> i I'm having visions of my a friend of mine who's whos saying, so now not only have I got a an exercise bike where I pay somebody to yell at me, but I also have it attacking my my enterprise while it's at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'll think that's a hard pass. But what I actually started thinking about when we started talking about these was not necessarily um, you know, just just for just for arguments, say Android 10 is secure enough today, but how long do we keep our... I mean, I think we replace our 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 smartphones way faster than we're going to replace our exercise yeah. bike or yeah. any of that stuff. So, yeah. you know, it's going to be around in 10 years, and what? It'll still be Android 10, and we'll be on Android 20. I mean, talk about a difference in security profiles. Mm-hmm. Unless they provide uh, updates. <clears throat> which yes, that's true. It varies per provider. Well, and yeah, I, I, I even... I think there's going to be limits just because the hardware itself won't be able to run a newer OS. At some point, you can't put this the is newer the, OS on Right.
3: Lee, this is so. the same thing that happens for every IoT, every device. Yeah, is. that yep. is. That's, not a computer. that's
2: actually where I was heading with it.
3: Yeah, yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, we keep our thermostats longer than we keep our phones. We keep our exercise yeah. bikes longer than we keep our phones. We keep our cars longer than we keep our phones. You name yes. it, we keep it longer than we keep our phones. So, you know, and, and, and I'm sure that, that uh, our, our resident firmwareians, uh mm-hmm. Larry and Paul, could tell us how bad it is and how bad it's getting. But I'm yep. I'm, I'm just going to make it simple. It's fucking horrible. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're being oh,
0: nice, just Got mints and words there, buddy. Yeah, you're being nice. I mean, you're being nice about the state of what exists in the market right. so, and what people have. But the new stuff, I think, is getting better. But, again, it's still not so, great.
2: So, I, I you know... Larry, you and Paul started down another path. Is you know when you're when you're in the enterprise, you know, isolating like we do our other IoT stuff. I think that's the path. You know, we're 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 segmenting or restricting what these things can talk to and and monitoring them. And, and yeah, and if there's not if there's an authentication component, we're definitely layering that in there. Yeah, but and then for the home user, <clears throat> I can, I I have become cynical and think that the odds are very close to zero that they're going to do any of those things.
0: Nope. Yeah, I, most average consumers that put IoT devices on their home are just gonna connect it to whatever Wi-Fi they've got in their mm-hmm. home and segregation guest network IoT network never heard of it. Never heard of it. I think
1: but largely to this point, people have been okay doing that. Yep. In mm-hmm. term in terms of the I think I'll pick on the lateral movement that could yep. that could take place. I think most IoT attacks, routers or gateway devices aside, everything on the inside of your home network the security incidents that we have observed are attackers going after that one ecosystem. Right. Right, it's going after your sprinkler system directly, your lights. We've
0: traditionally not seen a lot of lateral movement from IOT. Mm -hmm. And again, again, just because we haven't seen it doesn't mean it hasn't happened. Right, I'm sure it has, but. Oh yeah, and. uh, It's happening more
1: and more in the enterprise. Um, Carlos actually talked about that, and I actually have a, a story about that. in the Cisco IP phones that have <clears throat> two what I would call medium severity vulnerabilities. I think they're on a CVSS score six point one. Mm-hmm. It's how they got scored. Mm-hmm. One was cross-site scripting, and one was something else that I looked at, and I was like, "That's not. It's not the end of the world." Yeah. Um, Cisco said they're not going to fix them, which is interesting. Okay. Because mm-hmm. this product is end of life. Okay. Um. Yep. It, so it kind of gets back to... like you've
0: yeah, got an end-of-life IoT device that they're not going to fix shit on. Yep.
1: But this is a phone, no. going back to Josh's point, this physical phone is probably going to be around far longer mm-hmm. than your cell phone or maybe even an IoT device. Yeah, it's, because an,
0: it's an IoT device. It's a VoIP but, phone. But before like, we get
4: too far off on uh, on, on news stories, which is you know appropriate we move on, I do have one more question. I, I kind of wanted to ask this in the previous episode with Sean, and I didn't see the place to break in, but I'm curious, to your guys' opinion, what is the difference between uh, somebody working from home 10, 15 years ago, where, you know, whether you had a a company device or your own personal device, and you were VPNing in more than likely two-factor authentication, RSA token, or RSA key fob, and all that kind of stuff, What's the difference between that environment and today's environment, where more and more—I mean, I, I think about you know the company that I work for. In theory, I'm logged in on a VPN to the to the corporate, but I hardly ever go there. M- most everything is is in the cloud. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the things that I go to are now cloud-based, and up to and including. Um, whatever MS, you know, MS 365 or whatever they're calling it these days, you know, my email, my Outlook you know, all that kind of stuff. What's the difference in terms of the attack profile, I guess, or the vulnerability of somebody working from home where you're not necessarily VPNing in to a, a corporate environment anymore. You're, you're doing all sorts of web-based cl- cloud-ba- cloud-based, cloud-based things. things. Yeah.
0: Yep. Um, I think one of the Bigger ones, you, you you come down to your authentication, authorization, with yeah. multi-factor, and this all that This is the,
1: the stuff. SDWAN. The solution is the SDWAN. Yeah, uh, software-defined uh, wired area network. You, well, yeah, and the <coughs> coupling that with identity and access yep. management, mm-hmm. which essentially Jeff creates that same kind of VPN environment. And I think that right. just the difference is rather than on-premise resources that you're granting access to and controlling, those resources are in the cloud and yep. largely defined by software. Uh, in, in the cloud, and, which is and, a big and difference. And those right?
0: operators of much of that cloud software as a service type stuff are, and I'm going to use the term and I'm going to hate myself for it, uh, too big to fail. Yeah. That they have enough resources <laughs> to put the time and effort to more appropriately secure their cloud platforms than maybe an enterprise of 500 people.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a shift in the responsibility, exactly, and a shift respi- is a the big is a big difference. Yeah. Where a VPN is giving access to the full infrastructure and environment, maybe bare iron all the way up the stack, that the right. enterprise is responsible for. When you're now granting user access to your cloud instance, you're responsible for some of the security and the cloud providers responsible for the bare iron the network yeah. and in all that stuff and you do have some security controls and more of the differences lie in how you apply those security controls to a cloud environment versus an on-prem environment but
4: the security controls are almost exclusively and correct me if i'm wrong the authentication the authorization the iam you know multi-factor being able to gain access to the cloud environment in the first place for yes. the most
1: for the most part yeah yeah, yeah. it's not like before I mean, where we remember we used to like have firewall rules and yep. filters on routers to say like vpn users had access <clears throat> to this and the vpn appliance <clears throat> had to be hardened. you yep. had a lot more responsibility yep. as um, an
0: or as a, as, as an, an enterprise, enterprise. So, i yeah. mean I,
4: I've been working from home, you know, in various uh, uh, permutations for, you know, 24, 25 years. And one of my previous employers, and I'll leave the name out, but, uh, you know, VPN access, I had a company-owned laptop, had to VPN in, in order to gain access to, you know, shared drives, data, email, and all that kind of stuff. And while I was connected to the VPN... I couldn't print because mm-hmm. yep. my print was on the home network. Huge inconvenience because I'd have yep. to drop the VPN to print a document or you know, print something and then have to get back on again. I largely don't have yeah. that problem yep. these days. Which I like. What is this print thing you speak of? I know, right?
0: <laughs> sometimes you gotta sometimes you
4: gotta paper analog, yeah. You know, it's a, th- and, it's a yeah, thing. Yeah, and
0: and Jeff to to that, That's um yeah, you know, my my sister in law, you know, twenty years ago started working from home. Uh, and she was working at PeopleSoft at the time, uh, and there was mm-hmm. some encouraging uh, at the time. Like we're going to explore this whole work-from-home thing, uh, and the way they did part of their security was through physical separation, uh, and that they mm-hmm. had a program called People Pipes. It was PeopleSoft People Pipes? They actually paid for a second internet connection to be run to mm-hmm. your home that you use specifically for work. And it was, you know, all of the, the the virtual software-defined networking at the local providers where it was capable and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, um, I,
1: I just I want to go to the Cisco story um, as, as a segue. There's a lot of stories I want to segue to. I want to talk about car, breaking into cars too because I'm, I'm super excited about that topic as well. But um, the IP phone vulnerabilities. So in the Cisco IP phone uh, SPA 500 series phones, Largely sound like their small business. I've talked about it on the show before where Cisco doesn't give the love to their small business line. Uh, there are two CVEs. One is a cross-site scripting. One is an HTML injection. In both cases, it requires tricking the victim user into clicking a maliciously crafted link in order to exploit the vulnerability. Now, I'm not saying it's outside their own possibility, <clears throat> but it certainly makes the attack more complicated, somewhat less attractive. Yep. Um, for the oh, user. This
0: is this is a great opportunity to briefly discuss CVSS version 5.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I have not looked into version so 5 yet. So, CVSS five.
0: version 5, yes. No, I'm sorry. CVSS version 4 because it's currently at 3.0. I was going to say, oh, the last
4: $3. I heard where there was a yeah. 3, so my, my bad. got to 5. Thank God, I thought it's I'd four. lost like
0: a my, few okay. years. My bad, 5. Um, Larry lives in the future. 4. Yeah, version 4 now has uh, a concept of... Uh, the user interaction for needing to do the, that exploitation, right. whether it's automatic, there's limited user functionality, like the user has to do something, but they don't need to be tricked into doing it. And then the user needs to be tricked into doing something.
4: So, so what I'm hearing is a, a, it's a way of clarifying yes. uh, the marketing buzz that goes around insider threat. And, and you know, I know we've had interviews over, I don't know, in the last year or two where we've talked about insider threat, but the insider threat is, you know, forcing, you know, tricking somebody into clicking on a link or opening right, up this, an attachment type of thing. This attack, so hinges this, is on,
1: <laughs> but this attack hinges on the fact that there is a web interface, web-based management interface on the VoIP phone. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. What Cisco yep. says is this product's end of life and they're not going to patch it. Uh-huh. Now, and they also say there's no workarounds. But I'm like, couldn't a workaround be you just disable the web management interface on your VoIP phones? Yeah, or, how do you, so
0: how do you, my question will be, how do you do that? Is that not possible? I would argue is, that it is. Based, Larry on, and I, and based on the phones that I've many seen. Many others on the it show and listening know
1: sometimes you it may not have possible. the capability that is supported by the manufacturer, I'll clarify that, mm-hmm. to disable the web management interface. That, now, I mean, could you reverse engineer the firmware disable the web management interface, reassemble the the firmware and reflash the firmware. Sure, you could. You'd violate your support contract, which doesn't exist anymore. And then you
0: break it and it's end of life and you can't get a replacement.
1: And then if you break it, you're really screwed.
0: And two, you shouldn't have to. I think
1: there's a really cool idea for a company that, so you'd have to charge less than what it would cost to update all IP phones in the environment. But provide the service of a virtual patch for your phone. And basically, I'll do exactly what I described. I'll decompile the firmware. I'll disable functionality like that to, to fix some of the mm-hmm. vulnerabilities. Fi- air quotes, fix some of the vulnerabilities. <clears throat> and then apply a firmware <coughs> update.
0: It's probably stupid. You just IP tables firewall rule or
1: something. <laughs> Depends on what level of access you have to the device. Who remembers,
4: uh, you know, the days when the laptop had a label on the back that said, you know, if you open up this laptop, you void the warranty. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you and you you ignored
1: that and hey, opened it up. Know, that's a whole a uh, laptop that's right.
3: that didn't do that.
1: There's a someone said there's a there's a yeah. law or something that 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 can't that can't be true. The right to repair kind right of wiped rep- out that, right that void repairs. warranty sticker thing. Hopefully, vaguely remember. But anyway, back to the Cisco vulnerability. Also. Like First, why wouldn't Cisco give you the ability to disable the web management interface on a phone? Because If I've got 10,000 phones deployed to my environment, yep. probably not manage them individually through the web management interface. Same thing goes on their, their switches and routers, mm-hmm. even for small business or enterprise. Probably not manage them through the web. Maybe in a small business, I am. But first of all, why can't you give me the ability to disable that? Secondly, why doesn't Cisco just fix... The vulnerabilities in the web management interface. Does it really cost Cisco that much to ab- apply a patch? But and what, <laughs> what? But what if they charge ten dollars for the the fix? Like I would pay. I'd pay. Ten dollar, or whatever. Yep. Charge me a nominal <laughs> fee uh, argue- to continue support for security vulnerabilities. But arguably, Cisco wants you. Obviously, they want you to buy the next version of the phone, which is going to cost way more than what they would charge. So people just start. I think it's shady business practice. I think it is. I,
0: I mean, same, same sort of sort of thing. Like, uh, let's, tr- let's trade uh, uh, another version. Uh, PP Works the in-house production stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, end of life PP Works and uh, it's, you know. Eight years from now, someone comes and says, "Paul, I'm still using PPWorks and it's vulnerable. You need to fix this." That's where I was going next. And, how and,
1: how long so, how long do how long have these phones been out there?
0: They probably knowing Cisco, well, they've probably they probably been out there. They
1: went end right
2: of well. life in December of 2019. Okay, I wonder when Until they were four inter- years ago. I wonder if they're inter- well, they What's were the, the, the average
4: life expectancy of a phone? Uh, a a
1: phone. It's a good question. A also, a good question. Uh, maybe three, four, five
0: years yeah probably 5 to 6 maybe 10 years Um, you're going to have to get past you're probably going to have to get past the 3 to 5 year technology amortization
1: schedule how many more features can they put on a VoIP phone
2: though like seriously Lee? okay let me change my answer a minute they announced end of life in December of 19 they stopped shipping them in 2020 and you can get hardware support out to 2025 oh interesting so five years support. after they announced them, hardware support meaning
1: like if something something dies in the hardware, I can get a replacement, perhaps,
0: yeah, which they will then ship with vulnerable firmware,
2: right? Or yeah, ship me a new version of the phone. So the know. end of but they do also say the end of vulnerability security support is back in 2020. Yes. Not, they said we already said in, four, in 2020 we're not going to give you any more security updates, whether or not we wanted them to, but they at least said that. Three years ago, we're done here. That's just weird.
0: I mean, yes, Microsoft runs into the same thing. Like, how long are they going to offer security patches yes. for Windows Seven for?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and of course, the other pretty, the other question sure we're that, past I, that exactly. Yeah. The other question I can answer is, you know, okay, so there's a replacement device. Is it is it feature for feature, or there's something the old ones have that the new ones don't have?
1: Yeah, like how yeah, many more features can you have a on tube. your VoIP phone to justify? I, they don't produce security updates, so I got to update. But there's really no need for me to update because it's a phone. <laughs> like yep. so, no, someone needs to call me, and I need to pick it up, and yep. I need to talk to them. Like and how it, many and more and features sip, do you need on sip. there? And oh, and,
4: come on now, Paul. Don't be naive. Who uses a phone as a phone
1: I anymore? anymore? Well, I, you so, know, but, I, but probably physical VoIP phones. I would venture to guess are for call centers. Don't put
0: that thing near your head. You don't know where it's been. Yeah, Josh has got a comment in here.
3: I I do. It's 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 fascinating that this is a mindset thing, uh, and I talked about this shit twenty years ago. Uh, literally, God, I'm old fuck. Uh, but the it, the the mindset between physical and digital or logical back then security was before even cyber was around, except for a different definition, which we won't talk about because Larry gets excited. I uh, get excited. but get but the difference was just mindset. You know, you put a, 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 a an application in place, you're gonna test it on a regular basis. One lives in hope, okay? Especially if you follow that magic, magic s- scenario known as PCI, right? But uh, it, uh, if you put a lock in a door, you know, like a, a new lock in a door to an office or to an office building or whatever, that, that lock's there 20 years later. Nobody's tested it, it's a, it's a lock. What are you gonna replace it when the door falls off? Yeah. Okay. That's when, it. When the and lock it's, stops it's functioning. Similar, right, and it's a similar mindset to IoT, uh, a bit of OT and an IT. And it's th- this whole firmware thing is is literally I can talk all just about every topic we've talked about for the past 10 minutes up to mindset.
4: Right, right. You know, it's it's interesting you uh, I have to defend PCI for a minute, Josh, since you brought it up, but you know, <laughs> PCI doesn't doesn't have an opinion explicitly on end of life end of support it's an implicit requirement that says install you know critical security patches within 30 days of release and the argument has always been you know the logical throw, flow is if they're not releasing security patches you can't patch your device and so how can you keep a device up to date and keep it secure if they're no longer releasing patches. And this 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 was an issue back in the early 2000s when um you know before 7 there was XP and and many uh point of sale systems which is uh, to the layperson is the cash register um were running on XP and XP was going end of life and end of service. I had clients that paid uh quite <laughs> An expensive extended service contract contract to Microsoft to continue to get, uh, you know, support for end of end of life end of service Microsoft XP systems, because pragmatically, if you know, if you're a national retail chain and all of your cash registers at your thousands of lo- retail locations all over the country perhaps internationally need to re- be replaced if you want to do that and if you want to do it right it still takes you know 18 24 36 months to to yeah, do, nice. just logistically to do all that i mean so i had you know i remember with xp when they went i don't know what year they went out out into service but i had a client that was in the first year they paid an extra five hundred thousand dollars for extended support for XP the second year was 1 million the third year it was two million and it wasn't even guaranteed to get patches and updates it was if you experience an issue and you give us a call we'll respond to it and we'll work on it so it was it was kludgy to begin with
3: mm-hmm. but how many how much would it have cost to replace 20,000 cash registers all across the world, easily multi, well, multi, multi millions of dollars.
4: Well, yeah, there was a cost consideration and there uh, also there was this, just the logistics of how do you do that and, and get to all the locations. It was also at the same time where uh, the technology in terms of payment systems, point of sale systems, they were starting to offer tokenization, they were starting to offer point to point encryption and, and, and you know, quite literally, I had clients who were like, well, should I go A, B, or C? And if I want to do C, which promises the best security and compliance relief, but it's not there yet, what do I do in the meantime? It it, it was an interesting little dance back, you know, in the late aughts, early
1: teens. I just, wanna, uh, 2000. I just wanted to transition to uh, stealing cars. And the reason i want to transition, because I went down, a, we all go down rabbit holes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in our research, or we just get enamored with something. And we've covered this in the past uh, and talked about it. Um, and what I like about the, um, some of the podcasts out there today is they take a topic like the Kia boys. If you don't know what those are, I'm going to explain it. And they, they dig deep on it for an hour, right? We covered the Kia, Hyundai stuff. Yep. You know, in a 5-10 minute Stares. Stares. thing. And then there maybe was an update like, you know, a month or a year later. We recovered like, hey, car thefts are up. And they're, used. oh, yeah, there was that thing when they start the car with the USB. Yep. And um, it's just because
0: it's the form factor, not because of any USB technology.
1: Right. So I listened. There's a great podcast. I think the, the um, two gentlemen that do it are out of Canada. And it's called Hacked. Um, Search for Hacked Podcast. They did uh, an hour-long episode on the Kia boys. And they really dug into it. Because I and I learned a bunch of things um, from it. So here's the gist of this hour-long, which you should go listen to because I thought it was really good. The gist is there was a point in time at Hyundai where someone uh, realized and made the decision that by not including an immobilizer in the vehicle, they could save money. Okay, very important to the story, and the immobilizer is essentially uh wireless communications which i'm assuming vary Mm -hmm. um inside of a key fob or a key that communicate with the car that if they don't do the proper handshake car won't start yep that's a pretty pretty good Uh, high level very high level so uh uh,
0: early early on um gm vehicles uh their immobilizer was actually built into the key Mm, it would be like a little pill in the key and it had electrical connection and it was a resistor and if oh, the resistor value yes. didn't match what the car expected, and there was like, I don't know, 100 different resistor values, your car wouldn't start. Yeah. And so your key wore down, and then yeah. it wouldn't make contact
1: anymore. So, but then the, um, so over time, to combat basically hot wiring a car, mm-hmm. whereas you send the right electrical impulses by touching the wires together it simulates the, the the key, right? It's hot wiring a car. You can't do that if it has an immobilizer because it hasn't done the handshake to start the car. So car manufacturers, because I, some stat I saw somewhere is like it's $4 billion it costs us in, in car theft, right? To curb that, the mobilizers. Hyundai, who also owns the brand Kia, um, in his infinite wisdom was like, we're not gonna include immobilizers in the cars. So that's the one of the points in the story. The second thing they did inside of their cars is uh, 2011 to 2021 Hyundais and Kias sold in the U.S. where uh, if you take apart the plastic on the steering column Mm -hmm. and you remove the ignition cylinder, did I get Mm -hmm. that right, Larry? Um, The ignition cylinder connects to this little thing that kind of looks like the male USB thing. Mm -hmm. So if you take a USB a cable, USB-A cable. A USB-A cable, like this one right here. It could yep. be anyone, which I also think is ironic that a lot of people have charging devices in their cars that are exactly like Probably that. cable sitting right there. Yeah. So now you've got no immobilizer, and you've got an easy way such that kids that are as young as 11 years old, I've heard, can take this USB cable. Not to cable. nitpick, Paul, but you're holding the male. So are, do you, did or is you it really female, mean... Maybe it's a... I don't know. The part that sticks out of the steering column is a little thingy that sticks out in the... USB cable slot is what goes over that, so you're actually like inserting the the hole here over the part that so sticks it's, out. So it's analogy an it's analogy based on anatomy. Correct. It's an analogy based on anatomy. What's male and what's female? And what's female. The part sticking them. out from the car to me is male, and the slot inside here would be female, last I checked okay. in anatomy. So you put it over this, and you turn it, and it starts. Yep.
0: Uh, now, what... And the barrier to that was that the fact that that cylinder was there that needed a key to turn right. it to turn this thing on the back of your lock. And right. Well, if you remove that part that requires a key to turn that part, and it's just got a standard size hole to be turned to or be a standard
1: turned. size tab to be well, turned. A tab. Yes, it was a tab to be turned. Now, it, it, someone has to gain access to the vehicle, right? So, like, if you've locked your doors, they have to bypass that. What a lot of a the brick. Vid-
0: it's called a brick.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So. <laughs> What a lot of them don't go into is is how that happens. I guess if you, and they're a large, so I guess I should back up. This is why it took them an hour because there's a lot to it, <laughs> right? So yep. missing a mobilizer, easy way to basically start the car, led to someone figured this out and posted a bunch of videos to TikTok. Those TikTok videos went viral yep. and started this um, movement, I'll call it, of younger folks from 11 to like 18 years old, roughly, in major cities. Milwaukee was a hotbed for it. Yep, totally. Um, that were stealing cars and Hyundai's, taking M-K's. them for a a victory lap. That's what they call it, a, a victory. victory lap. But in so a, a joyride. Lot of cases, a joyride, but in a lot of cases a very dangerous. Do you know dangerous. where they were driving in Milwaukee? Because I know Milwaukee. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where. There's um, there's another video. They were taking
0: them out to Sauk City and leaving them and then going to the uh, International Mustard Museum.
1: And so if you did this, (laughs) you were deemed a a Kia boy. And then there was people that made music about Kia boys, and then people would put other TikToks of them riding in a Kia calling themselves Kia boys, like all you had to do. So it wasn't an exclusive club or membership or discord server. It was, it was a Kia rite boys. of passage. It, it was, was exactly. Raving, it was if I stole a car and I made a video of it and I drove it around, I would be, a. am a Kia boy, right? That's all, that's all it was. Uh, now, obviously this is very dangerous because you have underage kids driving erratically in a stolen vehicle. Um, eight people died. There's actually some really tragic stories of, there was like five people in a car and four died on the highway because it flipped over, which is just awful. Um, all because Hyundai and its infinite wisdom basically made these two uh, mistakes in it. And there's also a YouTube video, Jeff, I'm not sure where they were in Milwaukee. Um, but there's a famous uh, YouTube video from a YouTuber that interviewed some of the Kia boys. And in the background while he's interviewing them, someone's speeding past in a red Kia that they just stole <laughs> and like slamming into stuff and that person ended up getting arrested as a result of this video and it has like millions of views on YouTube and I watched it as part of my research into the story <laughs> I was just enamored um, with this whole thing you want to be a Kia boy don't you so I really want to get someone's permission because um, the other video I watched they reenact the whole thing they explain all the details and they actually blur out portions of the video and bleep out portions of the video um, he actually hot wires it to start it as an example, he has a Kia, which you can just turn the thing, but he actually hot wires it, and they kind of blur out how he did that, but they blur out exactly how he, he did it. But even watching the blurred-out thing – any of us could figure it out, man. Like, it, it's, it does not look complicated. <laughs> it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. You could figure it out. Uh, figuring mm-hmm. out without damaging the car might be a little trickier, and this was, like, his friend's Kia that had permission to use for the the video. So that was another good video that I, I watched on it yeah. as well.
0: 12, um, 12 volts to the distributor, 12 volts to the starter, get your lone wolf 3000, and...
1: <laughs> he did it with just wire to the So the harness... So he disconnected the starter from the harness and the harness was exposed and he just jumpered much like we would jumper pins on a power supply for a pc to see if the power supply starts up Yep, that looks like that's exactly what they did to start the car like i was like oh that's all hot wiring is like i've done that on pc power supplies since the dawn of time that's awesome
3: in the in the old days when a car was direct electrical not not nearly as many chips Mm -hmm. that's all it was you Mm. were bypassed the key switch was a direct electrical connection to, to turn the battery on and power everything, and then when you hit that extra little bit, that's what to, that's what directed power to the starter.
1: Yep, mm-hmm. right. So you literally I mean, just like, had to touch two wires together, is what you're saying? Yep,
3: that's it. Got gotcha. Well, you
0: touched three, three
1: sure, wires, three wires three together. Yep, because you needed three to wires
3: to pop- get to get the starter going, and then you pulled one wire off to, to let the starter off once the car starts. Yep. So yep. You,
0: need, you just needed to provide 12 volts uh, to the center of the distributor, the part that spins mm-hmm. the that spins around your your rotor. To fire, send electrical signals to your coil to fire your spark plugs in a specific order. So that needs 12 volts in. That's one of the wires you put your yep. 12 volts positive. The other one is a starter wire, and you go, and that it makes start, the starter spin, the starter starts spin, the right. engine, starts keeps that thing yep. going, and then you can pull that wire it's, off. So, so you guys some, are gonna somehow
4: somehow related and yet you know totally off and left field. But I remember when I was a kid, my my grandfather, I want to say he had a Pontiac valiant or something like that it was, it was probably a car that was made in the 60s or early 70s but i always thought it was really interesting because when you, you turn the key and start the car and be driving while you were driving you could literally pull the key out of the ignition mm-hmm. and <laughs> yep. and nothing would happen right i think it, it has to do with what we're talking about
3: yeah it's so you guys are gonna well, love my... remember this is this is a mechanical lock all you're doing and we all know lock picking or at least a little bit all you're doing with that key is aligning the shear points but the shear line mm-hmm. of the lock and turning it. Once the once the lock is turned, some keys retain the key and some keys and some lock, oh, some locks and, and, the key. And, yep. and some locks don't. So, so th- sometimes
0: th- sometimes that law lock, those locks the part that retains the key no longer functions in the spot where it should retain it.
1: Right. You guys are going <clears> to <throat> love my story number 12 because it's basically all about all of it. This was a great... W-
0: Wimper is Find something that Lee can come on. He looks like I've, he's falling asleep over I
1: prompted you guys to give the background <laughs> to understand our story number 12. So, like, based on all of what we've just talked about, brings us to story number 12, which is a surprisingly yep. simple... <coughs> excuse me. Simple way to foil car thieves. So, these researchers um, at a university that were grant-funded came up with something University called... Of Michigan. Yeah, thank you. University of Michigan. Battery sleuth bypasses both the wireless communication that the key fob depends on, so the immobilizer, yep. and the standardized onboard communication network that's used in today's vehicles. Instead, it authenticates drivers by measuring voltage fluctuations in a vehicle's electrical system. In order to do that, drivers interact through a keypad device plugged into an auxiliary power outlet. So basically, it sits on the battery. <laughs> it's just, you know auxiliary power outlet and it gives you a keypad.
0: The cigarette lighter. The cigarette, the cigarette
1: lighter. 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 I mean, yes, uh, auxiliary power outlet. We, is,
4: we don't call that a cigarette lighter. It's the auxiliary yeah, power the,
1: coupling. The cigarette lighter. If it were Star Trek, it'd be an auxiliary power coupling. And <laughs> you enter a, a keypad. Star Wars, it'd be a power converter. Right, and it's a, a, a pin that you enter, right? One, two, three, four. And if that, one, two, three, four sends those electrical pulses. If it gets those electrical pulses, it gives power to the rest of the system so you can start the car. So it's pre immobilizer pre key authentic it's almost like two factor authentic- it is in fact two factor authentication for your vehicle now that I
3: so I'm assuming this is something that plugs into the OBD2 port as well as a keypad that plugs into your
0: so Josh I number I I understood schematics. this a little different I understood yeah. this a little different that it is basically it sits on your battery a device that goes in between your battery and the rest of the electrical system in your car correct that once you put in the pin, would allow power to flow to all the systems in your car. Correct. But then had the ability to uh, observe current draw of various accessories being turned on or off in your vehicle. Right. Gives enough power so, that, so that, you, that
1: it said you could do it with the windshield wipers. Right, so you the could, same electrical pulses. You could yeah. turn
0: your windshield wipers on to low speed once, unlock the driver's door, lock the driver's door, and, it's the same turn, thing on the and yeah. turn on the stereo. So it was like right. um, it's like a physical so, pin. It's like a physical port so, knocking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so now the obvious thing where all brains go is, well what if I could just bypass this and give the the car power independent of the battery? Yep. It turns out they've thought of this because this is a security device. And I'm not saying this won't be bypassed because it'll probably be bypassed. But what you're hoping is that the level of skill required to bypass this doesn't put us in the same situation we were in with the Kia boys, right? Like this is the bar. If Kia boys is the bar, even a bypass for this is probably going to be, you know, hopefully harder than, just getting in the car and ripping apart the steering column and, and
3: turning the cylinder. Yeah, I got a problem with <laughs> Larry. But hold let on, me let,
1: me, let, me, let, me descri- let me read to you how they described the defenses against uh, some of the safeguards they put in. So they say, right. Battery Sleuth has also defenses uh, to guard against hacking or physical attacks on the device itself, including a siren that sounds if illegitimate activity is detected, <laughs> which, okay, fine, uh, and a resistor that shuts down the vehicle's electrical system if an unauthorized power source is connected to the vehicle. Oh, that was kind of interesting. So, I don't know how they pull that off or how easily or not so easily bypassed that mechanism is, but that could be uh, your OBD2 port connection perhaps that... It's turning off the electrical system, there, there's
0: they'd... there. I'm looking at the authenticator install, mm. I blew it up. They've got you know, before installation, power to battery, and this one it's got it in between the positive side of the circuit, right? And with the negative side of the circuit, um, so that it can do level monitoring. Um, and it's super simple, it's three wires, yeah, two positives, no, it, and but, a
3: ground. But here's the, here's the kicker, Larry, yeah. Um, when a motor, like a, I don't know, a, 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 a a windshield washer motor yeah. it's older. Do the voltages and draw change on that motor?
0: Um yes.
3: Okay. So <clears throat> what I'm hearing is the 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 tolerance of this, it's gonna build a baseline of your windshield washer. It's gonna build a baseline of your this and that and the other thing, yep. all the different features in your car, right? Yep. And as those things age, it's gonna go out of baseline. So unless this well, thing is could, a lot it more could. sophisticated. Yeah, but it
1: has a it has a keypad <laughs> which is one option or you can Basically, set a pin code. If you were to put the windshield wipers on and off in a certain sequence, that would effectively uh, act as your your uh, pin code, Josh. And like you All said, right. there probably is some deviations in that that they're accounting for when they set the code. But if deviations occur naturally over time in your car, yeah, you, you're flipping your windshield wipers. You it might not, yep. might not work. And and, right? ar-
0: and arguably, it's probably going to be many years, maybe decades for. Yeah. That to that like that's that windshield wiper motor degrade enough to be right. statistically you know mean, and I think
1: in. about I this. Change
0: everything. Hold yep. on, I want to go to Lee. Yep,
2: go ahead, Lee. So I was wondering, I was actually looking about it talked about unauthorized power being added to the vehicle. I'm thinking how does it differentiate uh, me legitimately jumping my car because I got a dead battery. <laughs>
1: right? Oh, that's a great point. I and mean, they don't say how they do that, maybe on purposely, right? They don't want you to know exactly right. how they're de- defeating the tampering.
2: Plus, with a lot of battery jumpers now, they just plug in the cigarette lighter. <laughs> yeah, of uh, kinda...
1: you can give power over OBD2 as well, which I didn't mm. know, until you have to swap a battery out on a newer car that has yeah, the they... computer system. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't just like disconnect the battery for, you know, more than 10 seconds, because then you're gonna have to reset the system. And some cars you can't reset the system unless you're at the dealership. So mm-hmm. you have to plug. So what did I do? I plugged this thing into the OBD two one end into the OBD two port, which just gives it 12 volts through probably a positive, and negative lead in OBD two. And I had an extension that plugged into the cigarette lighter of the car that I had running next to it. Which supplied power to the computer system while I swapped the battery out.
2: Mm-hmm. Completely trivial, right?
4: Yeah. Yeah. It was a fascinating. I mean, what's it what's it got to do with cybersecurity?
1: Well, I think this is all we talked about wireless communications, we OBD talked two, about anti theft, computers, in two, the car. computers in the car. Absolutely. Yep. System aging. Car hacking is a is a thing. Yep. Um I mean, also, I kind of, I, in also, a lot of ways, I feel bad for the victims. Um, I do feel bad for the victims of the the Kia boys as well. A lot of those people didn't have insurance <coughs> against theft. If that's not covered, and some some kid has basically stolen your car, banged it up, totaled it, like you're out of luck
0: uh, um,
1: for a car. I forget. Sucks. I forget
0: the statistics. Do you remember? Mo- um, oh, one, but, one of them, one of my former coworkers. Has had his car stolen from in front of his house four times in the last two years. Wow, wow, yep. And, so I, think, here's and a, I think and here's I think a was, I, I mean, think it was a Kia. Yeah. Oh,
1: well, there you go. Or a Hyundai. <laughs> there you go. Um, because so you the, take a
3: taser, you I'm implanters sure in, C- C- in the driver's C-
1: benchmark mm. that says you shouldn't buy a Kia. That yep. you should have a what's the 100. steering wheel lock thing? That's the one. The club. The club. The club. The club. Yep. So uh, the club. Ha- Hyundai was. Uh, providing people with a with a club but all they do in that scenario because i remember in the 90s and most of us remember mm-hmm. all of us that are hosting the show remember the 90s that i yes, think that's when do. the club came out yep. was like in the right. 90s and it was like a popular anti-theft i mean device. some of
0: us may have been alive in the 90s not all both of us may right. Re- remember right right
1: yes i remember most of the <clears throat> 90s and i remember hearing stories of people who had put the club in their car and then mm-hmm. to lock the steering wheel. So for those that don't remember what the club is, younger <coughs> audience, it was a, a steel uh, bar. bar that worked on a kind of retractable thing with a, mm-hmm. a keyed lock um, that would lock the steering wheel in place. Right. Now, a lot of cars will actually, uh, if it doesn't detect the key, actually lock the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. That's another anti-theft thing that's built into cars, some cars as well. I think most modern cars have that now, which is largely why the club was... Not uh, as useful, but the club used to be able to lock your steering wheel. And what people would find is if they had a car that was worth stealing enough or the thief wanted to go through the trouble, the thief would just remove the steering wheel with the club on it, leave that in the parking lot uh, space where your car was. And use just a pair of vice grips, <laughs> yep. uh, and steer the <laughs> car with vice grips. As I suspect, you know, Larry,
0: the club came, So you The come club out, was
1: released in the '80s. In the '80s, second. thank you, Jeff. So you'd come out to your parking spot, and you'd find your steering wheel with, with your club still on it, yep.
0: and a pie, pa- and a yep. package for a pair of vice grips.
3: Yep. Yeah, Josh. Hey, he had a Larry. Yeah. yeah. Can you build your your coworker a geofence taser and implant it in the driver's seat? I'd buy that for a dollar. Well, I mean, so as as they drive away, it's basically a bait car, you know, as they drive away. ah.
0: Well, I say that for a reason because that was RoboCop, right? In the beginning of RoboCop, there's a commercial for that thing. That was the anti-theft device that someone jumps in your car and goes to steal it, and they go to start it, and it It'll them. them. And Tastes the guy comes on and says, I'd buy that for a dollar.
1: Now, maybe a story for another time because uh, I, I think Jeff so, wants thanks. to move on. I think I do too. But um, I'm just... The last thing on this is I'm curious how this works with electric cars. right? When we talk about the battery sleuth, which is the anti-theft device we described, yep. how does it work with an electric car where... Like, it's weird. I own an electric car now. And it, like when you're... I was sitting at soccer practice and before when I Is it weird that you own the car or is the car weird? It's weird. Like all around it's weird, Jeff. And one of the weird things is when you're sitting somewhere and when you had a non electric car, you'd plug your phone in or whatever, or be listening to the radio when you're just parked and you're like, Oh, I don't want my battery to die. And then you do that in an electric car and you're like, I don't want my battery I'm like, oh wait, my car is battery (laughs) (laughs)
0: But, <laughs> it's a giant but, battery, but I, and I think that and I and I don't know the answer to that, but there is also a 12 volt battery in your in in the Tesla.
1: There is, okay. there is, yeah, yeah, there
0: is a 12 volt battery supports some 12 volt systems, and I don't know if those
3: support. Like, hey, can can you just
1: pour me some sure. of that hacker beer? I want to yeah. try the hack. I haven't had the hacker beer in, in a while. Thank you.
3: Yeah, as a matter of fact, mm. uh, if you watch Jerry Riggs everything, um, he when he did the Tesla electrical system in his Hummer. He had to put a 12 volt battery in because it runs the the dashboard the c- cigarette lighter or the auxiliary you. power sorry yeah and those the, basically the driver systems will we'll, yep. we'll we'll, we'll so much pressure.
0: less draw on that battery yes because it's not using so it less likely so start to start yeah
1: but anyway we'll we'll do some car hacking stuff uh in in the future uh for sure I, while we're on the hardware stuff though i did want to go larry you had two stories that i thought were interesting yep um hacking your smart toothbrush and finding a backdoor in encrypted police and military radios yeah you p- ins- you pick. In-
0: instead of the toothbrush one um let's do the backdoor and encrypted and the u.s government right. launches cyber trust mark
1: okay but, please, uh, so backdoor please. in encrypted so this article says it more correctly police and military radios it yes. goes even beyond police this is i want to deem this as emergency responders and, mili- and military? Plus, plus, yeah. Yeah, this is... First, um,
0: first, responders? first responders? First responders, yep. First, first, responders. first responders, plus, plus. This is military. The, and, we need to have radio yeah.
1: communications, but yeah. they need to be encrypted. And there's a company, whose name escapes me at the moment, that makes these radios. Tetra. Tetra, Tetra makes yep. these Tetra radios. Tetra Standard. Yeah.
0: Yep, it's a standard.
1: Yep. Oh, wait, so Tetra is the company or the standard?
0: Tetra is the standard. standard.
1: Okay. Yep. And so there's a company that makes Tetra Standard radios for... First responders, I think Jeff's correct, first responders. Everybody
3: uses Motorola, you guys use that standard. For any
1: radio community, the use case is basically up to you. They're selling a Tetra standard-based radio that uses that standard of encryption, basically. Largely
2: for use
3: outside the US. And you can build it into any radio, or chip, and then you can build it into any radio you want to build.
1: Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yes. Right. And so researchers found vulnerabilities in this. Yes, yes. Specifically well, I'm, with I'm the
0: encryption algorithm called T one for Tetra powered radios. Mm. Um it is going to be a talk that is uh will be a black, black hat yeah. called the redacted telecom talk, which I thought was an interesting name because mm. it's radio when not telecom. Mm. Yeah, I agree.
1: It's radio frequency, it's RF. Yep. I would deem that as RF. Yep. Yep. It's all
4: sound waves. Yeah. Just different, just different frequencies. Yeah,
0: Different ranges in which we can or cannot hear, right? Um, and it is a secret, proprietary cryptography method you with Tetra for T1. Secret
1: T1, you nah. mean TAE1? TAE1, yeah, right. Yeah.
4: I'm gonna yep. go out on a limb and say it's probably not cryptography. It's probably some sort of encoding, or or, or you know something that yep. isn't technically cryptography. But it sounds cool, so they'll you know they'll use it as a marketing oh. buzzword.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It says so. It says uh, not all users of Cheddar Power Radios use the specific encryption algorithm called TEA one. Yep, they call it an encryption, but it's a valid question. I'm not discounting your question, Jeff. Mm-hmm. So, Wait, effective is there, go ahead, is there a key? Is yes. there a key exchange? Yes, there, there is, is, an exchange is an
2: key. key.
0: So uh the first step that the attackers did was they found a way to uh un- effectively unlock the protected storage to extract the key from a radio.
1: Yeah. Yeah, sorry. So uh TEA1, T E A is a tiny encryption algorithm is a block cipher.
0: Yep. With a key okay. with a key of 80 bits. Block cipher so uh, as part of their research they were able to effectively get the um, the code that implemented the encryption step and were able to reverse engineer it
1: and they found... oh Larry went out there for a minute and they found... did you did you push your mute button nope. it's always right at the pivotal try again Larry uh, nope nope, nope.
0: Hey, oh, there, it there is. we go. That's the button. There, there he is.
1: Um, so sorry. It's an iterated block cipher that encrypts 64-bit <laughs> blocks using 128-bit key is what, what it says on the internet. Mm-hmm. But
0: okay, so it says here that uh, they found that it uses a key of 80 bits, but as part of their uh, reverse engineering of um, the of TEA one, they found that there was a quote secret reduction step, which dramatically lowers the amount of entropy to the initial key offered as part of the key exchange in the air for doing the encryption.
1: Mm. Typical.
0: So while everybody thought it was using an 80-bit key, it's not really using an 80-bit key.
1: So this says it uses a 128-bit key, but maybe that's implementation-specific.
0: Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Wait until Black Hat.
1: I really mm. hope that uh, Security Cryptography Whatever podcast does an episode on this. In, so in, the in,
2: question is: Is exuberant. this, in my mind, was this an implementation flaw, or is this the Clipper chip all over again? Mm, no, this Ooh. is
1: an implementation flaw. As I've read it, I would classify it. Lee, that, I've yeah, seen and, it both ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. and Lee, I think you're not. I think you're not wrong in both ways. Is uh, I would argue is legitimate here um, because um, they did say that uh, this stuff was uh, approved for export to other countries. Uh-huh. So that it may be may have been you know hey we had to reduce this to a specific case for export
2: control, right? And it's also proprietary crypto, which means, <laughs> kinds of shenanigans could be a blame. which
1: means it sucks.
2: <laughs> Pretty well, much, I, I was waiting for you, Jeff. <laughs> on I want to I
1: want to support Jeff's statement and said uh, uh support Jeff's statement when I read it relies on what. Researchers describe in their presentation slides as secret proprietary cryptography and not open source.
4: Yeah,
1: that's a red flag.
4: Yep, you think? That's not saying it's not possible, but I, I have rarely seen cryptography implemented to DOD standards in the private sector.
3: Yeah. Put it that Prop- way. The words "proprietary cryptography" are just, honestly, they're just that. Mm-hmm. They're, they they're cringe. They're bad. They're horrible. So, well, you know, and grow up a little bit
2: when you see them.
4: And for context, I'll, 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 I'll share this. I've probably shared it in the past. You know, when when I was working for that organization that produced these types of things, you know, the one of the one of when we were doing evaluations on whether the the algorithms and the the things that we were proposing to produce were cryptographically robust The one of the assumption was an adversary knows everything about it yeah they 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 have a copy uh, they've been able to acquire in, in those days that we were building little black boxes so they have a little black box they have the Enigma machine. Mm-hmm. They've been able to tear it apart, figure out how, exactly how it works. They know everything about it. They've got the user's manual, installation manual. They know everything about it. That was our presupposition when we were evaluating the the, the strength of systems. Is mm-hmm. you, you assume that everybody knows everything about it. Is it still secure? And, and ultimately, the security is, is dependent on the key. And the key yep. strength, and, and the and the key management, so the key privacy of the key. Yeah, privacy of the key the, is big. Yep. The privacy of the key. Um, I, I have rarely seen that embraced and implemented well in the private sector. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. private sector being, I mean, there are in encryption, the algorithm- commercial, ship, the yeah, commercial, commercial world. Yeah, the
4: algorithms. I mean, you know, uh, you know, algorithms are very, very rarely. Broken. Right. right. We talk it's about the things implementation. Being you know, yeah. I how agree. many years yeah. ago was the was the DES the DES algorithm? It was broken. It wasn't broken. Somebody no. figured out how to brute force it, and you know, using distributed processing, and they figured out a, a way to brute force it quicker than the the evaluation of it was you know single processor single machine doing doing the computations like well what if we use a thousand systems spread across the internet and we 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 divide and conquer on on the on the work factor. Right. I mean that's how DES was broken initially. Mm-hmm. Um right. well so but,
2: go ahead I mean then. I'm looking at this one and I'm thinking if they're doing that if that reduction function does what I think it does, you have a known set of keys involved. It doesn't matter if it's 80 bits or 1,000 bits. If there's a finite set of keys, it's not so hard to rip it apart because you're not breaking apart. You're not brute forcing it. You're just using a known key until you find the one that fits. Right.
4: Yeah, invariably, anything that was done in terms of design, which was generally the design features or the implementation features were done in the context of usability, convenience, convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, making it a little bit more easy to you know the, the 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 assumption was well, let's make it easy for people to use so that they'll use it. But invariably, those those features that that enable it to be more user friendly, let's say,
1: yeah, Jeff.
4: I just wanna... typically
1: reduce the work factor and make it easy to to brute force it. I just like I can speak about what people have told me because they haven't told me very much and have not worked in a you know, top secret classified organization, any stretch, but knowing people that have and knowing people that have implemented systems that provide air quotes, secure, always air quotes, secure communications for the military. Now, the requirements and the, the need to have that secure communication has been proven throughout history, right? You mentioned the Enigma machine. As we yep. have thousands ex- of years, thousands of years experienced that, like that requirement for secure communications on a battlefield, as an example, mm-hmm. is huge. Yep. And there are many people, some people who I've known that have worked on those systems and they they can't tell me how those systems work. They can't tell me what the systems are, what no. they're based on or anything. But like I've known people no. that are like, yeah, that's what I did. I helped implement these radio communications or communication systems if they weren't based on radio communication systems that use this proprietary encryption technology that i can't talk about um Mm -hmm. in this article on a back of what jeff was talking about earlier uh bart jacobs is a professor of security privacy and identity who did not work on this research itself that we're talking about but says he was briefed on it he is quoted as saying and I quote, this really is the end of closed proprietary crypto, not based on open publicly scrutinized standards. Just to back up what you're mm. saying, not the need mm. to back up what you were saying, Jeff, because I I agree with it. And I think most of us agree with it as well. Hell yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Right. That's,
4: that's what, that's what, well, saying. to clarify any, uh, any cryptographic system algorithm that's, that the strength of the security is based on the secrecy of how they're doing it is inherently flawed out of the
1: gate. I love that quote, that's a great quote, Jeff. I love that. Hey. Couldn't have put it better myself. No, oh, no to Gus, segment, segment that's title. That's a great quote. Yep, I'm gonna pull that. <laughs> yep. Now let's talk about maybe hacking smart toothbrushes. I oh, like, I wanted to do the... Uh, nope, you don't want to do mark. that one. Forget hacking, hacking smart toothbrushes.
0: We can do that as long as we get to talk about the trust mark, because I think Josh wants to do the trust mark one, What's too. What's trust mark? The cyber
3: trust mark. Where actually, I've that? got... I want oh. to talk about the trust mark, but I want to... I have a, a non-story story. It's a little weird. Um, okay. Actually, I've got a question for Larry. Well, you're a little and, weird, and...
1: too, but... I mean, we yeah. all... I'm a little
3: weird. <laughs> Jesus. Uh... So I I realized I had a thing that I needed to ask Larry and I figured what the hell we'll talk about it on air. Um, The other day a drone flew over my house, very, very low, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't one of mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, caught my wife and daughter out back. Uh, They were just gardening, not a big deal, Mm but I was like, what the hell? So now I've got to be setting up Signal's intelligence system in the house. And uh, so I I went and looked for Soho SIGINT. Apparently that got abandoned a few years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of picking up a Kraken. Mm-hmm. and put encampment on it mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm.
4: is what's a cr- is it illegal well, hold on, wait. to own a shotgun and just simply shoot the thing out of the air uh, have
0: really good aim d- but, d- yeah. discharging a if shotgun in a flying, residential neighborhood is a yeah, bad idea there's a lot of issues with frown. That
3: joke. <laughs> they frown on that but
1: rf rf is the rf is the way to detect it and also probably the best way to deter it and what is a a kraken is remind me what a is.
3: Six RTL SDRs. You know the cheap RTL SDRs? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. The, uh, like USB dongle
1: RS RTSDRs that are yeah. like fifteen bucks roughly?
3: Yep. yep.
1: It's effective. Yes, but the Kraken
3: six of them that are all linked and synced together, yeah. so they're all created together. Yep. So great for direction use, finding. Yeah. So you can use them all to figure out where the signal is coming from. Because they're what, all what freq-
1: what frequencies will they receive on? Uh the Kraken,
3: I'm not sure. Uh, Larry,
0: Rt sdr is uh, about up to 1.8 gigahertz, down to crap. I can't remember the it's low a, end.
1: It's a range. It's yeah. a range. A
0: hundred ish. Does it go yeah. down to hundred ish? Yeah. And that,
3: that should cover most DJI frequencies and and that stuff, right?
0: DJI uh, might be 2.4. Oh,
3: fucks. that's mm. a good point. So oh, we actually we I...
0: actually had one of these cases happen in. Rhode Island, not all that long ago, really, where um, mm-hmm. someone was flying a drone over in someone else's yard. Mm-hmm. Um, spying on them in the bathroom. Spying on them yes, in the bathroom. I remember that. Yep. Is this where someone died and got shot? Nope. No? Nope. But uh, they did, um, they were able, so they found that it, they could hear it in the bathroom. They went outside and they hit it with something. It yep. crashed to the ground and then they dunked it in the pool.
2: Right. Right
1: oh big and mistake. then they called the cops big mistake they totally should have given it to us so we could do <laughs> forensics on it
0: it's still fine uh um, well, probably fine but yeah, they I dunked mean, it in the it pool. dry out would be fine so here's a here's a couple of fun ones um uh, some of that you do own the airspace over your house to a certain height so if they were flying in your yard to a certain height they they are violating they're effectively See trespassing that- so it's trespassing. I think it's, is, yeah. that,
1: is that a state? But that's a state. That's got to be a state no, by it's a state. Fe, it's a federal thing. Oh, so it's a fed, federal. Because it's a state by state thing, uh, how the laws dictate your, what is your property and what yeah, are. Yeah, but airspace is FAA. But airspace yep. is, is FAA. Okay, yep. that, that makes sense. Yep.
0: Um. So
1: also. So there's
4: probably regulation on altitude yes
0: there is you know, what, and, what and i don't distance. remember what the specific altitude is you own up to right. like 30 feet or something like that of your own
4: air because you know planes are flying thirty thousand, twenty-five thousand right. 25,000
0: 25 All yeah um also drones over a certain weight need to be registered with the faa and if Correct. they haven't done so they're in violation of the law
3: and that's a federal law that is a federal. and i law. also live in half a mile of an airport
1: that's a they violation ph- of another federal law <laughs> yep.
3: So, I, I don't remember. I don't know what restricted airspace is around a general aviation airport, but it's a very busy general aviation airport, and mm-hmm. there's a zone around any airport that is uh, pretty massive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Gus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
3: that is that is um, uh, uh, it disallowed for drones. Yep. Yep. yep.
0: So, uh, so honest, honestly, for for me doing direction finding with Kraken. It's probably not going to work all that well. It's probably in the two point four gigahertz range. But I know. About that. I know. Um, Kfro would be a perfect yeah. opportunity to so ask I was just him about K- some KF of that. Kf would no. be my go-to to KF. ask about that.
4: So, so stupid question. What are you? What are you dfing? Direction finding. You see the thing in the air. Are You trying to find who's controlling it?
3: Yeah. Did, the, where did?
0: It, where did it land? And where did it go back to
3: to land? Okay. Where is so, it going? And also, can I, can I trigger the uh, the drop out of the sky and, and land right now? protocol.
2: So I was thinking about something a friend of mine told me. He said he was flying a drone uh, and the wireless IDS broke, disrupted the communication to the remote and it crashed. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, for some reason, this had to be reported to the FAA. I don't know why. But I just thought, gee, if you could just disrupt the comms from the remote and let nature take its course, I mean... You can run a you can run an IDS on your house without any problems. Just whitelist the neighbors uh and don't don't attack them. Yeah. Assuming, is So that like a de-auth?
1: Right? do you just de-auth it from the controller? Deauth it? Yeah, basically. Well, cuz you can't jam on 2.4 <laughs> cuz then you're in violation of, of
2: No, but you can No, do no, no, no. no. Oh, I was going to say is DJI...
4: that When does when does it become similar to jamming, yeah. you Yeah. So, no, it's items. not jamming it's D-Auth.
0: yeah you gotta be, still got to be careful with that potentially because um, D-Auth
1: can be considered a jamming no
0: well, cannot be considered a jamming but there's still uh there are still case law for the FCC for prosecuting D-auths, Mm-hmm. but it's, it's usually but... around there's some financial gain around it yeah so but still I plus
2: I'm talking about something that's in the sphere of his house not he's not Blanketing the neighborhood with this, right. he's, he's just covering right. his 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 yeah. his FAA sphere.
3: Yeah. Well, so here's, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of delicacies there, but realistically, but... there's also a DJI specific frequency. Mm-hmm. Most of these drones these days are DJI, and, and a mm-hmm. DJI specific control protocol, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And you can potentially mm-hmm. set out up to and they did this for security reasons. You can trigger the stop, drop out of air. Mm. You know, not not right. crash, but, but land right now. Right into and, your
4: pool, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're splitting hairs, Josh, Bloop. between you know the protocol, the communications protocol, but there's still a frequency issue. I mean, you yes, know, whatever it's the protocol is,
3: around 2.4, is,
4: it's still broadcasting on some frequency.
3: Yeah, yeah. But if I'm if I if I send a command to it, that is, I'm not jamming the frequency. I'm just sending a command.
4: So do we do That's we a, as cit- citizens and homeowners do we own? Uh, do we have any rights to frequencies the... or protocols that are flying I'm, over? I'm
2: expecting it's an it's it's one of those part. Uh, Was it class fifteen broadcasts or whatever that doesn't require explicit licensing or something like that? Larry, help me with the exact word. It's a great question. I don't know. Off but the top of my there isn't. Head. It's it's almost like it's unregulated, like the FRS radio.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's it's going to be in the two point four gigahertz spectrum or five gigahertz. It's going to be uh, ISM. So unregulated. Yeah. You know. Oh, speaking of
1: laws anyway. and wireless communications, Larry, please um, move on. The video showing the Flipper Zero smoking a smart meter <laughs> may be fake. Yeah, I want to say the person who debunked this is a total ninja. So, yeah. And um, like, looked at, I did, I read this article, Larry. Yep. The person who debunked it was uh, familiar with the. Basic, I want to call it SCADA gear, uh, you know, ICS, SCADA gear uh, for this. It was basically like the gear that they showed mm-hmm. doesn't match the attack that they did. And when I first saw this, I think it was Vlad Gold, Gold Domesky, who we had on the show that shared this with me. Yeah. Uh, awesome. for the, yeah. yeah. Vlad shared this with me, and I was like, that, like, first of all, I don't want people thinking they can go do this with their flipper because that's really bad. But, like, secondly, if, Something was damaged. Oh, yeah. I hope they had permission. And the environment that they were in looked like a residential thing. I'm so, like, how do you have permission to destroy gear?
0: You don't because it's not your gear. It yeah, belongs it will, to the electrical right, right, company.
1: Right. Like your your meter on your house doesn't belong to you. It right. belongs to the, the electric so, company.
0: D- technically, doing any interaction with the meter to turn it on or off... Or tamper with it. Or with, tamper with, with it yeah, is obviously. illegal because it is not your gear. Also, any power company that is worth their salt right? as any one of them in order to interact with the meter to turn it on or off requires a password for good and, reason and you do not have said password which so means again, you're violating
1: the title 18 Which yep. yeah all sorts of yeah. stuff there's that
0: <laughs> now so with the uh definitely the the one here now arguably i haven't been here in a while so this story is a little over a month old yes it is but i, I still want to get your take on i it, still thought it was kind of fun Um, because yeah, they talk about using the flipper zero directly controlling a smart meter to disconnect it. And so basically disconnect the meter, reconnect the meter, disconnect the meter. And they were doing that multiple times. And that's kind of what fried it. Mm -hmm. But as you can see in the, the original video, they're in a residential neighborhood and they're effectively shutting down the load for an air conditioner. One of the biggest draws that you can put on your house is either start your electric dryer or turn on the compressor for your air conditioner. I mean it has a so I've
1: swapped out the capacitor yep in my air conditioning my previous air conditioning unit. Mm-hmm. It is a pretty not as big as as this bottle but mm-hmm. like pretty close size mm-hmm. capacitor like mm-hmm. that holds a, a pretty serious charge because the amount of power it takes to start up one of these devices is significant so they're storing that energy in a capacitor right yep. Correct me so that wrong. it does
0: so that it doesn't cause a draw a di- on the an, rest an, of the house an, a, yeah exactly and yeah. so when we built our new house when they put the ac in um they started the air conditioner and it tripped the breaker mm-hmm. because it required much so draw. much draw yeah. to start it so they put in a capacitor mm-hmm. and it tripped the breaker Ooh. So they put in a second capacitor. Because you can chain capacitors yep. together. Yep. And they're
1: as, they're basically like batteries, yep. right? Yeah.
0: The, so they put in a second capacitor, and the lights dimmed every time the air conditioner turned on. Mm. So they put in a third. Yep. <laughs> yep. I kind of <laughs> wish they had just replaced the compressor myself, but they said, yeah, no, it's the same thing with all the compressors for these particular units. But
1: now, uh, what they were demonstrating in this attack is kind of similar to like the Aurora attack, essentially, yeah. where... <clears throat> Um, terminating power and then turning off the power, turning it back on causes that draw to happen in succession multiple times, which causes physical damage to the gear. So
0: uh, yeah, exactly. And the, the the point sort of being here Similar is that... Similar reason
1: it, why I have to have an antenna connected to my device. Mm-hmm. When, right, because the so power goes back into the device that's supposed to be powering on more so than kinda, it's expected, kinda. right?
0: Yeah, so the big one here is that it's likely they were manipulating some other custom circuit to turn the air conditioner on and off. On and off, yeah. Or the air conditioner remote itself type of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and not the power meter. Because you, they start showing close-ups of the meter when the meter going all black out blacked out and started The meter smoke. starts
1: smoking inside the glass. Yep. yep.
0: Exactly. And you can see the brand and the model of the meter
1: And the Amarim brand they showed mm-hmm. does not
0: support wireless communication. Correct. <laughs> so it is fucking impossible <laughs> to do that with a flipper to do that with a flipper. Now that said some of these meters the wireless protocol may be infrared. Mm hmm. You've mm. got to be very specific about your infrared. They're very narrow beam. They're very specific free, uh wavelengths and uh, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, now it wasn't happening. They were they were clearly controlling some other circuit, and the meter happened to be an innocent bystander.
1: It was uh, Hollywood Showtime. In this yeah. video, is my assessment. Yeah. And also, don't don't do that.
4: Yeah, do I, f- <laughs> I feel like we've strayed way off track. Let's let's do a story let's, like let's do the trust death. mark. Let's do the, the trust death, mark. The death of Infosec Twitter. Yeah,
1: sometimes. all right. Let's do the no, death no, no. of Infosec okay. Twitter. So let's I do Zenbleed. The um, death of Infosec Twitter, then Zenbleed. So death of Infosec Twitter. It, this article counted mm-hmm. the number of CVEs that were referenced on Twitter. Uh,
0: the number of times CVE a CVE, were a CVE
1: number were, was yeah, referenced. Any CVE number. On, yeah, and was showed a sharp decline yep. in that. My comment in the story is that is one measurement, and I'm not discounting that measurement. I think that is a measurement and a very important measurement. There are, however, other measurements that maybe aren't as easy to measure. Mm-hmm. I should say conditions that are not as easy mm-hmm. uh, to measure as It's CVE is a very... Uh, easy measurement, and I think an important one, and I think it does speak to supporting evidence that there has been a decline yep. in the InfoSec Twitter, Twitterverse as as we call it, yeah. and some of that other evidence is when I was looking into like my story number one, Kevin Beaumont, um, who produces fantastic research, by the way, and I went to Kevin's Twitter Kevin abandoned Twitter like a long time ago. <laughs> like basically, when Elon and, took and it if over, if I'm not from, if I'm not mistaken, he's Gossy the dog. Right? Yes, correct. Um, so, I think there's further evidence that there is not as strong a presence mm-hmm. from InfoSec and on Twitter.
0: And so, the wonderful thing about statistics on the internet is you can make them say whatever you want them to. And this, yeah. this may be a case. I th- So, I think that their measurement is is arguably accurate, that they mentioned the number of time that CVEs were mentioned on Twitter by using the public API and so forth. But this was also, around, and I don't know the exact dates, this was also around the time when Elon said, you know, I'm totally going to fuck up your APIs. So that maybe a number of auto, excuse me, automated or bot style, excuse me, accounts from companies that were using Twitter for... You know, legitimate announcements and, you know, folks saying that we're seeing exploits of CVE such and such in an automated fashion had their API access revoked and they could no longer have this high volume of tweets about specific uh, CVEs. Mm -hmm. The other one that I find that is interesting and that I would argue that supports some of my thoughts around that is that um, they have stopped monitoring the state of InfoSec Twitter by measuring CVE mentions via the API because the level of the API that they were using was revoked and now they would have to pay for it. It was previously free. Right. So they can no longer <laughs> monitor that. That's interesting. So I think it it may have been some removal of bot bot accounts or changes in the API to prevent folks who were legitimately using it to tweet about CVE. It could lead CVEs. someone to
1: that, to that conclusion. Yep. I but agree. While...
0: Person-to-person conversation about security on Twitter may still be existing. It's just maybe the bots, the the more chatty bots yeah. were no longer there.
1: I think there's a lot of people who are unhappy with Twitter and a yep. lot of people who have left Twitter. Um, it's no longer Twitter. It's X. X. Which X. is just another reason why people have, have left and gone to things. Largely, I find people going to Mastodon. Yep. Um, I see some mentions of Blue Sky. Yep. As an alternative, I see the uh, Facebook one threads, threads. as th- a flash of a pan. Yep.
0: I think a ton people, of folks jumped people, there, but nobody's really using
1: like it. Like, I went there, I created my account, and, yep. like, I couldn't cross-post from my Instagram, so I was like, what? But, but, uh,
0: yep. Yeah. I, quite honestly, any, I think anything that I'd care about that was on threads, people are put, now putting to their Instagram accounts anyways.
1: Yeah. So... I think Facebook's yeah. answer to Twitter is Instagram, and they're going to have a tough time with threads unless they make it more accessible. Yep, in, and I think they and point. I think they will. And I think the, they will. I think it's going to. It may it may take time, and I think it's interesting to think about where security people hang out. It becomes a lot more distributed now. Yep, um, which is well interesting.
4: It, it is interesting, and and I certainly do not claim to be an expert. Or expert practitioner in any of these social media things. Cause I'm old, but it, <laughs> um, you know, I used to rely on Twitter as a way to reach out and connect with people and, and, and message them. And, and, you know, I find myself, you know, you know, you know, in, 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 in real time wondering, yeah, I want to try to get in touch with somebody, And I'll go to Twitter to see are they still active on Twitter? Can I DM them? Are they even monitoring it anymore? And 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 frankly, and I don't know. I'm not putting any value judgment on this or not, but it seems like to me that the de facto for our industry, at least more you know the more business side of things, as it were. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself going to LinkedIn more and more mm-hmm. to just to try to, to just yep. to try to contact Agreed. people. Yep. Um, yeah. I was using Mastodon initially, but then I started getting some sort of errors and, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what's going well, on. Well, so Mastodon's,
1: just... uh, direct communication is not secure at all, even from like a casual, like you can just casually add people to the conversation. So people largely don't use Mastodon for person-to-person communication. LinkedIn right. suffers from the problem that person-to-person communication, fine, but you get so much friggin' spam from people mm-hmm. on LinkedIn right. that you, you, you can't keep up. How do you find a legitimate conversation? Someone just messaged me, which looks like a co- legitimate communication, like while we're doing the show. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's interesting. Right. I can remember to that person, but tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll have 10 messages from people asking me to improve SEO on my website and they want to pitch me in their next you know, business growth idea. And I'm like, that's, can did you he, just stop he, that? Like, it, why doesn't, is it Microsoft owns LinkedIn now, right? That, <clears throat> they need to do something about that.
0: And again, I think for me, I, I get less of that. I still get it. But I'm also very selective in the social media. Like for Twitter, it was follow everyone. Mm-hmm. Follow back everyone. and And I think that's come back to bite me now that I'll ask a question on Twitter and that so many people follow so many people that my question often just gets left into the void and I get one or two answers. Yeah, that's thing. Um, But with something like LinkedIn, uh, the only time I've ever um, specifically accepted, there are a few exceptions, accepted an invite on LinkedIn or asked for an invite on LinkedIn is that if I have worked with this person in the past or we have met in person, yeah. We have had right. some sort of intrapersonal relationship via email, something like that. Right. But now you
1: can still grow your LinkedIn if you convert to a, I think it's called a creator account. And so people can follow you. Yep. I'll send you a link. Okay. I just did that. I just did that recently on my LinkedIn. Okay. It's supposed to help with a bunch of things so that you can do exactly what you're saying. Like, I don't want connections from random friggin' people, yep. but random people can follow me on LinkedIn. And I don't have you to gotta, interact with them. You gotta make the flip to the crater count, but anyway, you're,
4: you're sort of you're sort of getting to where I'm getting at, Paul. I think is um, you know because there's no you know in you know up until a year or two ago, whenever Elon took over Twitter and and the great exodus started the, the de facto, if I want to ask questions of the community, Mm. if I try to interact, if I want to try to put feelers out, if I have a question, if I want to try to engage, we went to Twitter, you know, we went Twitter and I don't see a really clear, there is no de facto replacement to Twitter yet other than and i know there's a lot of people in the hacker community that you know sort of disparage linkedin because it's it's so corporate business yeah. or corporate but there doesn't seem to be a really good consistent alternative And part of that is, you know, what are people monitoring? I mean, you know, I have accounts on all sorts of different social media platforms. I get the notifications Mm -hmm. in theory on my, on my devices, my phone, but you know, if, you know, but there, there is no de facto alternative to Twitter. Now it's, it's been sort of
1: fractured, you know, is that Tractured. a good thing? Is that a good thing or a bad thing though?
4: You I want, don't know. Right. I mean, it depends on, you know, if I just simply want to like, Oh, you know, I'm going to be in Vegas in two weeks and I want to find out if so-and-so is going to be there. How do I reach out to them? I used to reach out to them by DMing on Twitter, but I don't even know if they monitor Twitter anymore. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the no problem. been problematic and I, and I haven't, I haven't tried Threads yet because I'm just you know grumpy old man. I don't, I don't want to just immediately you. jump on everything. I I am finding that the, the 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 de facto is more and more becoming LinkedIn for better or for worse. If I want to try to get in touch with somebody, I I, I tend to go to LinkedIn. I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, yeah, and I don't know if it's a problem or not, but. You know, the, you know, we used to complain about, you know, when Twitter was active and it was the place where we all hung out, we always used to complain about all the flame wars and all the, all yep. the in, infosec drama, hacker drama and all that stuff, which I don't see anymore because I'm not, you know, I'm not terribly active on, I'm not like looking at my Twitter feed all the time. Not that I did in the past, but, um, you know, just to try to engage people to throw out a, a thought or an yeah. idea or. Question to Where try do you to go? Engage in conversation. There is no. Well, it's not Twitter anymore. Let's go here. Let's go there. All. All I'm seeing, for better or for worse, is the most consistent platform that most people have an account on. For whatever reason, LinkedIn. is yeah. LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Hmm. Anyway. Yep. Um. Where do you want to go Zen next? Zenbleed. Oh, my Zen God.
0: Cyber, then mark.
1: So, uh, Tavis Ormondi, um, amazing work as usual. Like, basically, this is a... It kind of combines some other bugs with speculative um, execution, right? That can allow you to, as a regular user, basically get data from other threads that are happening on other um cores within the processor right so you need to trigger something called the xmm register merge optimization 2 followed by a register rename in a mispredicted v zero upper this all happens within the that. precise window to work we now know basic operations like sterling mem copy store copy uh we'll use that so we can effectively spy on those operations happening anywhere in the system it doesn't matter if they're happening on virtual machines sandboxes containers processes or whatever that's what i pulled out of the it's a very technical write-up um that i linked to that really heavily digs into processor registers and, and all of that stuff um but i thought that was the kind of thing that um described it best this 100 percent works myself and other researchers <laughs> no. have amd processors that are vulnerable to this attack and have com- totally tested it um in talking with those researchers just earlier today we haven't been able to yet pull a a password or a key um from this attack yet but totally believe it's possible right and i totally believe that's just a timing kind of thing like i haven't collected enough data over a long enough period to be able to collect that What we're seeing in some of the strings when we run, I mean, the <clears throat> tool totally works. Uh, so uh, Tavis released a proof of concept. It compiles on most Linux systems, <sighs> and it totally works on the processor. And when I run the tool, it's shown me all kinds of data from other from other threads, and I can see like SSH strings in there and like mm. other artifacts, but I'm not readily uh, pulling passwords and, and keys just yet. Um, Again, I just think that's a a little more time. Lee Lee. had his
0: hand up there. Lee, what would you think
1: of this?
2: So so I was looking at this, and I I was first reading it, and I'm like, uh, I see, okay, AMD has has, has a BIOS update already out there that's supposed to address it. And I started pulling that thread, and I'm going, hey, wait a minute. There's, like, all these OEM systems that won't have updates until, like, December, depending on what you're running. Correct. Um, but like if your odds are, if you get data center computers, you've got it. But like some of the mobile platforms won't be until like I said, the end of the year. Um, I thought it was a really cool hack, you know, getting, getting, getting the, you know, re- reading, accessing part of the register you're not supposed to and, and merging. Um, and, uh, re- remarkably, I don't have a lot of recollection of AMD issues. We like talk more about Intel than AMD in terms of, uh, you know cpu or other type vulnerabilities so i had something you know, i had something on this
1: hold on i have notes on this all right without my notes um micro code updates so is the code running directly on the processor typically right. they are installed from a uefi or bios update as
5: right. you described. Okay.
1: so typically like your oem so let's say i have an amd processor and um I'm running a motherboard from Asus or whatever, right? Sure. There would be a UEFI update inside that UEFI update. UEFI has, I think, a region on the spy flash where it can put a microcode update. And when the system boots and sees that microcode update, it goes, oh, there's a microcode update, and it comes down through your UEFI. So, like most of the time, typically what I recommend and I feel safer with is that I apply a UEFI update to my system, included in that is a microcode update for my processor. Um, They get, then installs the code inside the processor. And there's a whole validation process. In fact, I talked about it in my keys blog, there's a whole, it has to be signed with a key and the whole thing um, to apply that update to mitigate this vulnerability. The second way that you update that could be directly from your operating system. And essentially the way that goes, I don't have my notes in front of me, but, is like I put a microcode update from the operating system inside of a register. That register gets read. It's called an MCR, I believe. That register gets read um, and applies the microcode update. That also has to be like you can't. Not anyone can just do that. Like that update has to be signed with a key that's burned in the processor in the whole uh, in the whole thing. Um, so you should make sure that you're applying these microcode updates as they're available. My recommendation, based on the folks that I work with who are like total ninjas and experts in this area, because um, I asked them, I'm like, I tend to lean towards, I want to do it as part of a UEFI update. They're like, yes. And you can also do it through your operating system as a second thing. If you're running Linux as an example, like on your, your examples, Lee, of so many appliances and stuff like that, mm-hmm. Linux does provide facilities for updating your your microcode as well. And that can work, but like use, use caution with... <laughs> this whole update process because you're essentially updating firmware microcode that's running on your, uh, on your CPU. Right. Um, and there could be performance impacts as we saw with Spectre meltdown, similar kind of thing. In this context, I've read where the performance impacts could be negligible, um, with this.
2: That was actually thinking something on my list to ask you about, Paul Mm -hmm. was, did you think there was going to be a performance impact similar to Spectre and meltdown? Because I, you know, you're messing with the, you know you're changing the operations in the cpu which have been optimized to go really fast you're gonna you're gonna create a code a set of functionality you're basically gonna stop right. that from working right
1: not um, as much from what i understand lee not as much as Spectre and meltdown um, yeah. though my processor that's vulnerable is the amd threadripper 3900 series and so mm-hmm. i have a 24 core amd threadripper it'll be an older threadripper twenty four. You probably won't notice much of a slowdown. Twenty four cores. You're <clears throat> like I'm not. I'm not no.
2: noticing much of a, a, a slowdown. Right. And 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 the, the other point you made that's important is that when you, if you are reading my my link to the AMD page, I think you list you link to the um, the research that was published mm-hmm. page, and the AMD page uh, talks about you know make. There's only one reference where they make a microcode update. Most of the rest of them say get the BIOS update that yep. has the AGESA firmware embedded in it, which is exactly what you said. Yeah. Um and so it so that's what, the happy path. It's just getting And what it I find what I find really lovely
1: about this is in the this same week we've uh learned that I think I, I posted this uh somewhere on my Twitter. I made a post about this. Don't
0: worry nobody'll see it. It's on It's X now.
1: It's X now. It's somewhere on Twitter. Why are you still
0: on X?
1: Whatever you want to call it. Oh, here it is. So an overclocker is able to get a DDR5 to 9,058 megahertz on a Ryzen 7000 with the latest firmware. And what they're talking about is, I believe, a microcode update. It's a microcode update that allows your system if it supports DDR5, and these are, I don't even think this is the same AMD processor that may be vulnerable to uh, Zenbleed. I think it might be the newer family that supports DDR5, okay. although I could be wrong. Uh, but in any case, this this person overclocked their DDR5 RAM to get to like almost a gigahertz of speed on DDR5, <laughs> which is just, but like um, gamers and overclockers are gonna apply the microcode updates because they're like, yeah, like why wouldn't why wouldn't you want like if you're tinkering in that area anyway, like you're gonna apply those code updates, microcode updates to get to that level anyhow. Either that was really
3: cool. Uh, and hey, I posted uh, Paul. A, yeah. So virus about eight hours ago asked for a proof of concept code for Zenbleed. It's uh, on. And I you. just stuck yeah, yeah.
1: It's on there. It's on. Uh, it's linked in our show notes. Uh, my story number six. Has a link Perfect. to uh, Tavis's uh, thing, and it compiled like literally. I ran make, and it compiled the first time without an issue. Yeah, I just yeah. I
3: was going through like it's nice. Yeah, it's it's actually well done.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's Tavis. What do it's, you expect, it's Tavis?
1: Yeah, but now the yeah, the yeah, other yeah. thing to the Zen bleed story is cloud providers. Oh shit! If you're sharing a CPU with someone else, you could potentially be leaking threads from other tenants oh, in uh, that so now you got go to go through you got to go through you got to spin up an instance on all your cloud providers and start running the zen bleed thing you could be getting passwords and keys from other people's from other <laughs> tenants on that
0: well i know what i'm provider. doing tomorrow i
1: mean no so well. it's a, now it's a race now the cloud providers who are not very forthcoming as to how they uh, you know necessarily manage all this stuff no i'm not i'm not I'm not throwing stones. I'm not saying they're horrible at updating this stuff. They're, pun intended, hyper aware of these type of vulnerabilities and actively working on patching them because it would undermine the whole security um, confines of you know a cloud provider. But uh, this is certainly a play on, on cloud providers. And you kind of wonder, like, as Tavis works for Google, like, is Google vulnerable to this attack? AMD processors are more and more readily available on your various cloud providers and choosing, in, you know, an architecture. So hmm. yeah. So,
4: how do you, how, if you're running the, these various technologies, applications, systems, how are you detecting that you're vulnerable to this? Is this something that's going to, Show up in your vulnerability scan engine? Yeah, would, Is it going to be something that wow. shows up in a pen test? That's
1: throwing me a How ball. do you know? That's a, that's a great yeah, question. It, you it's
0: should a, totally be running Eclipsium. It's right? a great question, Jeff. <laughs> in fact,
1: a blog post that I put out on, ironically enough, I put it out on Eclipsium.com. Uh, so you go to Eclipsium.com, you go to the blog, it's the latest post there. It's how to enumerate firmware vulnerabilities in the state of your firmware using Linux utilities. Um, there's mm-hmm. multiple sections. One section is your um, CPU microcode uh, version and how to how to run Linux commands. I think I give three examples, two or three examples of how to run a Linux command that reports back your CPU microcode version. Now, in um, it, interpreting that is super hard. Um, so once you get, it's basically a hex string that comes back as your microcode version. Mm-hmm. So then you gotta Mm go to GitHub. Um, Ironically enough, one of the person's GitHub's that is uh, pivotal in understanding what the version reports back to works for Eclipsium. Imagine that. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So uh, Plato's awesome, props to Plato. Uh, He's got an awesome GitHub that helps you kind of figure out like, oh, it reported this. You gotta do some like manual research. Um, On Intel, certainly for our platform, you know, we're going to tell you wh- whether you're vulnerable or out of date uh, or not with your microcode updates. AMD is something that uh, that we're working on. Again, we're focused towards the enterprise. So um, I've been having a lot of conversations, well, you know, in, at work in, about how, how many enterprises are using AMD. What's the driver for AMD? Largely, AMD is like a gaming platform. Um, but, you know, AMD should tell you that you're out of date. Also, your BIOS being out of date could be an indicator that your microcode is out of date. Um, so short answer, Jeff, there's tools, uh, to do that. Uh, and you should reference my blog post, uh, on Eclipsium.
4: Right. So the, the up question would be if you're, if, if I'm an enterprise admin uh, of something, how do I know to look for this? How, how do I know that this is something that I care about, should care about, should be looking for and investigating. And if I'm a if I'm a customer of a a some sort of hosting provider third party provider you know what what how am I becoming aware of this and how do I figure out if it impacts me or not
1: yeah i mean you can you could run these utilities on your cloud instances to see if it reports back your microcode version i know that i've tested that on cloud providers you could also open a support ticket with your cloud provider and go i've got these instances yeah, but- how are you doing but a if you're opening update? up a support
4: ticket, you know that there's something that you should investigate. My question right. is, how do you know that you're,
1: this is something I
4: should be asking about?
1: Yeah, you can ask your hardware to report back your microcode version, and then it's basically a manual process to determine if you're out of date yep. uh, or not. There's no great way to to know
4: so this is a process thing probably manual in Mm -hmm. terms of people needing to be just periodically i should check on the status of my firmware correct where i should check i should check on the status of the firmware of my third party provider correct correct and and i don't think there's any regulatory compliance standard in the land that requires that to be done so it may not (laughs)
1: be getting done it begs the question jeff in fact i was talking about you at work this week
0: um what are
1: what what What? you were talking about me i was what your ears were probably ringing in pci what Mm -hmm. does pci require the um, merchant to do in terms of ensuring that the firmware is up to date on their systems And following question, how do they classify firmware in the context of this conversation? Like, is microcode firmware? Is this something they're saying, like, you got to make sure your microcode on your processor is up to date? Because, like, that is, it's firmware, but it's also kind of, microcode is a different term, obviously, that is not the term firmware, something, it's actually the code running on your CPU.
0: Lee well, had a really painful expression on his face when you asked that question. <laughs> I don't know so, if it was related I mean, or I mean, not. <laughs> we, can
1: take this, we can take this offline, but I I, I think it says something well, about firmware. why no. should
4: we? I'm no, no, I think this is important. Mm. Uh, I think that's an important question to ask. Um, you know, a merchant or a, just a, a customer of a third party <laughs> yeah. provider of, of any form, regardless, I, um, uh, I mean, PCI does not specifically require you to look for this kind of stuff. Um, all that PCI would require, all, all that PCI would require from a, from a third-party you know, service provider, which is, is to use the PCI language, I mean, it's going to fall down to ultimately if there's a vulnerability scan engine that's going to A, look for this and mm-hmm. be detect it see reported as a significant enough level finding that that something needs to be done to it in, to, in in order to maintain compliance and that's a very vague answer but that's that's as that's as good as you get and i i don't think there's anything that's more stringent than PCI frankly mm. in, in terms of this
1: so PCI doesn't specifically call out that like patches and firmware or specifically call out firmware, much like some of the other compliance and regulatory frameworks are calling out recently that your firmware has to be up to date in order for you to be compliant with this regulatory standard. There is no explicit mention
4: of firmware in PCI anywhere, and and, and PCI
1: encompasses not only even in the latest update so in four, we're talking 4.0 right is the latest PCI no,
4: I mean you know well 4.0 the PCI data security standard is for the merchants it's for mm-hmm. the end user it's for the consumer and there's nothing specific about firmware at all now there are aspects of you know you know PCI the security uh, security council PCI security standards council PCI SSC yep, yep. They, they also address a lot of the products that are involved in, in the PCI ecosystem, the payment systems, the payment applications. They're, and that's not something that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. There might be something there, but to my knowledge, there isn't anything that's firmware-specific. It, it ultimately boils down to, to if there's some sort of pen test or vulnerability scan or application-level scan, uh, you know, mm-hmm. security test of any sh- way, shape, or form that will find this and detect this and label this as a significant security vulnerability, then they'll act upon it.
1: Mm-hmm. So we define as there's a vulnerability in your firmware. PCI would classify it, that's a vulnerability on a system that falls under PCI compliance. Therefore, you. But only, but only
4: if it's detected. By a, a vulnerability scan engine.
1: Hmm. Or a test. A vulnerability scan engine that is um approved. What there's a process for if you have a vulnerability well, scan engine that yeah, can do pieces, right? There's yeah. a process, but that's for internet facing Okay.
4: Yeah, you know, you're what you're referring what you're uh, alluding to is what's called the approved scanning vendor. Approved scanning vendor. Your, right. An approved scanning what, vendor has the, to the find ASD. the vulnerability, yeah. But that's on internet-facing systems, and, mm-hmm. that, and that, that is a, a – hmm. uh, that's different from, like, internal vulnerability scans, network scans, right. infrastructure scans, anything like that. Um, that. You know, if it's not something that a vulnerability scan engine is going to look for – it's probably not you know i'm talking just firmware in general it's probably not going to be detected in the in the PCI ecosystem
1: so if you your uefi bios firmware is out of date you're still pci compliant
4: unless unless it's a finding on a scan yes mm. interesting absolutely hey there's a but market many, there's a market how many there. scan market right how many scan engines are are are, are you know in their default configurations, which which is what most people use,
1: are looking for firmware. Yeah, there would have to be an authenticated scan.
4: Now, it, yeah. I will say this: uh, you know, that might change because version four PCI uh, is is coming. And it, it okay, so it's to, still it, coming. It, I thought it was. It's It not, will be effective. I to ask It will you be then. effective April and April of
1: next year. Okay, so and April one of, of the, next
4: year. One of the one of the key changes. Uh, that you know my company that I work for on, online mm-hmm. is 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 trying to communicate and share with our clients and prospects one of the the significant changes is that the 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 internal vulnerability scanning in particular is now going to be required to be a credentialed scan okay so maybe credentialed scan maybe that's going to dig in you know have some checks looking for firmware okay
1: I was hopeful that PCI-4 would then, start addressing
4: then it, this, yeah. Then it would be addressed. Right. But from an internet-facing perspective, it's it's typically, you know, what's your exposure on the internet? What what can people see from the internet? Which typically isn't firmware. Um, right.
1: I think it should be,
4: but we can debate it. Yeah, but, but how do you – you can debate it, but how do you do that? What right. kind of – I mean, you and I worked for a vulnerability – did you see by the way not to not to go off on a tangent did you see i saw something just today or yesterday that that tenable is rebranding tenable iO they're doing away with that uh, you know we were involved with the whole rebranding to become hey, tenable you know, I. all big
1: companies rebrand stuff man
4: but they're rebranding they're they're getting rid of tenable iO and they're becoming i think a tenable vulnerability management or something something to that effect right mm-hmm.
1: Maybe, but, but speaking of vulnerabilities but, in this in in this particular realm, um, while we're on the topic of Eclipsium, we disclosed kind of the second round of BMC. Um, that
0: wasn't the next story.
1: Um, I made it the next story uh, because <laughs> it's his I, show, Larry. Let but him but go. I but it's I but this applies to what we're talking <laughs> about. Like, let's say you have a system that falls under PCI, or you have a system and you're trying to protect it. Inside that system, there's a whole other system of the BMC, the Baseboard Management Controller, right? And Mm -hmm. our research team found, this is like the second round of vulnerabilities that we found within uh, BMCs. And these are specific to um, AMI uh, BMCs, uh, MegaRack being the kind of the product, um, and the uh, protocol that allows you to interact with the out-of-band management for your servers and so basically if you combine all these vulnerabilities together the previous round and this round um you can specify to the bmc that no authentication is an option which is just astonishing right so you can mm. interact with it so like on the bmc it there's the operating system and the regular uh hardware and then there's the it's basically an IoT device inside of your server that operates independently, and you can interact with that from the operating system side. And if you do, it says, "Well, no authentication is required because you're on the operating system side." Um, if you interact with that from the the network interface card, right, the NIC on the BMC, it says, "Well, you need to provide authentication." You can essentially lie and say, "No, I'm come from the operating system." Totally fine. Coupled with that vulnerability is another vulnerability where you can basically execute arbitrary code. That's a 50,000-foot version. You can go read our, our research report. So yeah. I,
4: I do have a question related yeah. to that, Paul, real quickly. Um, in the old days, out-of-band was you know, typically uh, modem access.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of similar. What to
4: that. What is out-of-band access in 2023, typically? Yeah, so
1: out-of-band is this Hardware and software that's very tightly coupled to the rest of the physical hardware on the system that allows you to access the rest of the system um, over Ethernet, essentially, Jeff, right? So rather than a modem okay. where you would like dial in and, and gain, like I so remember... It's, having, it's a, it's a different protocol? It's, it's yeah, a different it's essentially port. like uh, we used to have a system that was like hardwired into all of our Sun microsystems remember that mm-hmm. where if you dialed yep. into that you could then over a serial connection physically access a, a console on all of your systems mm-hmm. right it's essentially oh, that the
3: cable the special cables. are, are that, there that, serial like, uh,
1: connections to the cloud uh no. No, no no so cloud providers would have a bmc chip inside of the bare metal that's providing your Virtual machines or whatever, or, or instances right. that you're spinning up, right? And so instead of a modem, it's basically Ethernet uh, that's connected, and but, that's how cloud, that's so cloud in cloud providers. That's how cloud providers are managing the hardware that's providing all of the world their virtual instances. But right. it's essentially a a different communication protocol. Yeah, on a it's different, a separate on a different port. It's a computer inside your computer. That communicates mm-hmm. over the the network Ethernet um, to provide right. you out-of-band management, separate from the Ethernet or whatever connectivity <laughs> right. you have. Right. Okay. It's
2: it's think of it as a board with its own Ethernet port that's that's then w- wired into the backplane of the computer to manage it. Correct. It's a com- it's a computer and it's on a network, but it's separate from the chassis it's controlling.
4: Now, what's so interesting is—is it, is, is it an yeah, overreach? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to—I'm I'm
1: trying to understand it. Um, mm-hmm. Private no, this is network. Good. No, this is good. It should yeah. be. So, here's what it's H to, to your question, Jeff. Here's what—it's interesting. HG more at run zero. So, uh, multiple news outlets are covering our research. Right, and this is the second round of mm-hmm. research where we public, like publicize handiest vulnerabilities. This is all based on a, a data breach that happened. We analyzed the the. The data that was um, a result of that breach and found vulnerabilities. We're on the second round of that, and H. D. Moore is quoted as saying, "Look, your B. M. C. network should be isolated from the operating system side,
2: right? Be, right? So
1: you basically have a server, physical server. It's got two Ethernet connections, and one is the one that provides access to the the server or the operating system that." is running the applications that you're hosting. The second Ethernet is just so you can access that system independent of the operating system in the main CPU. What HG was saying is that you should isolate the network for your BMC, for your management controller. But the implication is that maybe some people
4: aren't isolating that. Correct. The attacker or the adversary or the tester is looking for a specific port
1: Or a specific protocol. Correct. Now, what people interpreted this as, oh, I just need to not expose my BMC network interface to the internet. And I'm like, well, no, 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 no. That's not what HG said. (laughs) Like, You're you're twisting his words. That's not what he said. And that's not what we're saying either. We're saying you should put that on its own network that is separate, yes, from one, the internet, but also from right. whatever network your operating system is running on. Let's say you're running Linux on the server, and the Linux operating system has a network act, a plug, a physical Ethernet a jack on the network. Your BMC should be separate from that. But that's not even really and, the uh, the fix, right?
4: Go back to our no, but, that, but 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 that's part of the that's part of the the architecture. So Correct. are you saying then that? Um, there should be, you know, how do you how do you accomplish that? The, the, you know, there you know, it's still networking, it's still IP, so there's some sort of separate network, know, fire firewall rules or access control lists, a separate you know, network, something in the network device that's creating a network that's creating a separate network segment, and there's rules that say this network doesn't talk to right. That's po- only part the of public. the
1: fix, though, because what what what's going to happen is like, let's say you've got a rack at a major cloud provider, and you've got 200,000 systems. Those 200,000 systems maybe are on the same management network, independent right. from the operating system, independent from the virtualization. And those 200,000 systems are on the separate network. Yes, that should be separate, and only very few things should have access to that network, but all 200,000 okay. mm-hmm. systems are on that. And you still got problems because if an attacker Were to get just one device on that network, and all those two hundred thousand systems had this vulnerability, I still have access to every single server in your environment. I just need—is it a vulnerability or feature? It's a feature. In this case, it's a vulnerability. Let's say it's a vulnerability. I exploit a vulnerability. I get on that network and I exploit a vulnerability on one of those systems. I now have access to everything on that back channel network, right? And but the but the vulnerability is a misconfiguration. Mm, it, it, the it's vulnerability a, it's a well force. the vulnerabilities in this case are <laughs> actual vulnerabilities that are have been discovered in the software that's providing the stack for this management software on the right. separate network so, okay. so how do you so, so how so, do
0: you get a vulner to execute that vulnerability there do you have to get on the peloton first you got to get in the peloton first <laughs> and from the peloton <laughs> you
1: can pivot into the bmc network got it all yes, right correct all right. Yeah. just but well, cool. so,
4: for mitigation yeah you know, how do you prevent it
1: yeah, but oh, so the, Nico the, Nico Wasteman actually something. talked about this on the right. show before the we disclosed. Not the Peloton, <laughs> but the BMC thing. He <laughs> was like, it's great if you separate it, but if you separate it, it's basically just taking all of your vulnerabilities that you would have in these systems within your system and putting them on the same network. An attacker on that right. network can exploit everything on that network. The real right. fix I, is to actually I, apply the patch, to patch the right. vulnerabilities on the system within your system system that is communicating on this separate network that allows you the highest level of privilege to all of the components and hardware within your servers.
0: You know what will really fix yeah, this? But, the cyber trust mark.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> all right, <laughs> let's do it. That
1: too. So That too. Paul, what
4: so, I'm hearing you saying, though, is, and this and this goes back to the early days of the what we, you know, before it was cyber, it was internet security. Yes. You know, the idea that you have this you have this barrier of protection. The DMZ and internally. It's a DMZ, you know, whether mm-hmm. uh, a yeah. DMZ yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But you know, your internal network is protected by network and access controls, because yeah. you can't, you can't, or don't necessarily need to fix all the vulnerabilities that are flying around internally. Right. What I'm saying so is, you one, should
1: segment. You should segment this into what you're talking about, Jeff. And mm-hmm. you have to apply the patches to like assume breach and go if someone gets on this network like the vulnerabilities are still there even if i segment it the worst case is to not segment and just hang it out there on the internet for anyone to access which it is and some people do but we're saying the same thing i mean you're calling it segmentation
4: i'm calling it access control firewall rules essentially you're you're isolating
5: Isolating. the environment
4: that has the vulnerable protocols the vulnerable BMC, correct. And you're trying to uh, you're trying to make it so people from the outside can't get to it. Correct. Right. Well, correct. It's,
2: right. Actually, it's, but independently, it's independent of whether it's vulnerable or not, Jeff. Whether well, unless you want to throw in misconfigurations on the category.
1: Of yeah, if I set a stupid I password worry, on but, and people can log in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, if you look and I do absolutely article, consider misconfiguration to be a, 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 a,
4: a vulnerability. vulnerability. Right, Vulnerability, right. by definition, is a weakness, and that can be anything, anywhere.
0: Speaking right. of misconfigurations and stupid passwords, the cyber trust mark. Yeah, let's well. go to the cyber trust mark. No, <laughs> right, let's do that.
1: We belabor this point. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so this is, but this is saying monkey. like... If you sell an IoT device Yes. In so the so this this is,
0: this is um, out of the uh, the recent executive order fourteen twenty eight something. I two eight, yeah. But it's very
1: similar yeah. to the healthcare um, uh, and FDA regulations that say we're not gonna approve this device if it's nope. vulnerable.
0: Nope. In nope. nope. No not no, even close. Not really. Not even close. This is this saying- is a voluntary program for yep. IoT manufacturers to participate in to have their device undergo some testing to verify they're not doing something stupid in which they will be given the opportunity to place a registered trademark on their packaging Uh to say that they have uh, undergone through the cyber, uh, the cyber trust mark program and that they have a relative security score of seven.
3: Something. Yeah. All right. And, and the
0: QR code is that score
4: based on the, the presence of the vulnerability or the, the ability to access or reach the system that might have vulnerability.
0: That's a great question because NIST has not defined that yet. They, they will. have defined. They will. They will. NIST they is
1: will. good. NIST is good and they will. But what this means, I just want to play this out. Yep. Like let's get my crystal ball. I'm on Amazon. I'm shopping. I want a new camera. Yep. For my home network
0: Yep, you know so what I, I want to do? Security, internet connected security camera.
1: Internet connected security camera because I want to monitor my front porch. Yep, and I get a whole bunch of options in yep. Amazon. The first page, <laughs> on the first page, one of these devices, let's say, has this stamp that says and a QR code and
0: and a QR code. This is
1: Trust Mark. Yep, and I've got a cyber Trust Mark and I've got a score of eight point nine.
3: Wait, 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 stop. Stop! 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 There's an important piece. That QR code is actually an important piece because yep. it's supposed to be a continuing program. Yep. It's not that you get a score of. It's 8. a continuing score.
1: Yep. yep, which is good. We've talked yep. about this before. It's a yeah, a, a continuing score, continually evaluating the security now, posture th- of now, this device. Th- now that said,
0: the device when I look f-
1: today it could be eight point nine. Right. Tomorrow the, the, could the, be a six.
0: There, Next because, day could because be because we're not fully defined yet. That the it. It is likely going to be a sticker or something that you can mm-hmm. change because the day that they the scan is run, mm-hmm. you may get a nine. But what happens if a couple of weeks from now it's an eight? Or you got an eight and now it's a nine. But I bought it, the sticker said it was a nine and then Right. So they they may, they may not now, they may not include the actual score at all. It may be may cyber trust code. mark and then the QR code.
1: Okay, so I go to Amazon. Yeah. Let me yeah. play this out again, yeah. knowing what you guys just told me. <laughs> yeah. I go to Amazon, I'm going to buy the camera. I yep. get, you know, 15 of them in the first page, in the first three results, because hopefully Amazon prioritizes the yep. cyber, what do you call it? Cyber trust mark. mark. The ones with the cyber trust mark come at the top. There's two of them that have a cyber trust mark. I pick the cheaper one, yep, because I'm shopping on price. I'm going to buy this one because I want a camera. And I want the cheapest camera, but I also want one that's secure, so yep. people don't spy on me. Yep. Right,
3: great. But the thing okay. is, once you buy it, the all the all the other stuff we talked about earlier still comes into effect. Are they updating the firmware properly? Mm-hmm. Are they testing it? Are they you know? It's got the CyberTrust Mark sticker when you buy it, but is it going to have the CyberTrust right. Mark sticker if you bought it five but years? But what, I, from
1: what I want, Josh, is in my utopian world, I want the Cyber CyberTrust Mark. That part of that, that when I buy something with a cyber trust mark, mm-hmm. means it's going to get updates and security yes. updates yes. for, like, a really long time. And, well, the vendor I'm buying program. from is, like, when is we find a vulnerability or they find... Is a the they cyber find... trust mark No. Criteria? I hope so. I would, I would hope right so. Your... For it to work, it would have to be they're continually assessing... Yes. The firmware of, yes. this, of this camera I agree. and going, I, agree. I can continue the cyber trust So, mark. So, but what happens if they fail should, 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 and they lose is, the yeah. cyber trust so, mark. So I bought so, it when they had the so you, cyber so you trust model.
0: Ask the question, what us answer. Sorry. I'm, a, I'm <laughs> fired up. I'm <laughs> yeah. a little, can so, you tell I'm a little fired so up about this? Currently, NIST doesn't have any of this stuff defined. It is coming soon. But yes. in but my utopian world, I would argue that yes there does need to be continuous testing because that is the purpose for the qr code are utopian world voluntary yes. the voluntary participation of that is that they will continue to update this over time and my understanding is participation of this program is that they do need to continue to right. perform this testing to update their trust mark to keep because trust mark. the intent of the program and the qr code is to note that the landscape changes you put a device out there that has six components they're not vulnerable. You've got an S bomb of components. Mm-hmm. I was just going there.
3: That's perfect. Yeah. Yes, now, yes, 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 now, yes,
0: yes, yes, Now, three weeks later, there's CVEs for si- all six of those components in the S bomb, and three of them are rated critical on two or medium. Do now your score it? changes. Oh, but so now I your score it, changes.
4: It was it was certified. Right, and I
0: Jeff. assumed that. it didn't happen. Oh, it's, have to oh, do it's anything. still certified. It just now has a lower score.
1: Do I get notified yeah, as a consumer? But I've already purchased drink? it and implemented
4: it, so I don't care. I'm not looking for it. Mm. But the f- is it a
3: notification? We don't know. We don't is know. it an S bomb style system where you know as no. it's continuously tested and where uh, style possibly style. possibly where where, where, where it's no continually way. tested and then if you have a critical or a high or whatever you set your threshold at, you get notified oh. when you register the product. Oh my goodness! Wouldn't that work nicely? We can but, I, but I well, think I can, I can but solve I think this, that
4: I, I, n- I never have to register the product
0: so but I think this, I only, work, know, this I, only works but this only
1: works I think if I buy the product when it's cyber trust certified mm-hmm. and I know that in the background there's a process yeah, that when that, new vulnerabilities are discovered they're obligated to to um, Fix those vulnerabilities and push software updates to me, and right. I apply them. So, like, I'm buying so, and, this and, not because and that's, it's and secure. That's the, kind of, that's I'm buying kind it because the it's secure the day I buy it, but I'm buying it also because there's a commitment there's to a higher, a higher degree of confidence yeah. that moving forward, and, and I think it's going to be secure. Yeah, and Josh, yeah.
0: I think you and I are both of the opinion that yeah, that is the intent of the yeah. program is that yes, there will be ongoing intent. Mm. Now, this really has yeah, some this interesting is, connotations. This is, this is rem- but.
4: This is reminding me very much of the old uh, C2 certification program that NSA had, where I remember, I don't know what year it was, late 90s, early 2000s, where Windows NT achieved C2 certification. So it was a certified secure operating system. The small print was the certifications. This is Windows NT. The certification only applies if it's in standalone mode. As soon as you plug it into a network... <laughs> every you know all bets are off you didn't yep. achieve this and this is and, and this what is, was the purpose of windows
0: nt to be networked networking yep so this is this is definitely some ongoing evolution with nist they're still working yeah. on the definitions yeah. of what this is going to be i think it's interesting so uh, josh i'm bear with me one second here uh well, this, i just this, i just had a, i just had a great conversation on monday with uh eric greenwald of mm-hmm. the internet of Uh, internet of threats podcast Mm -hmm. sponsored by finite state um, where we talked about the cyber trust mark. Um, And one of the things that I brought up and the question that I had for Eric was, which he's like, I don't ever get questions. I'm always the one asking questions was this thing is being managed by the FCC. Mm -hmm. That's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. And his argument was go listen to the podcast anyways. Uh, his argument was is that it does sort of make sense for the FCC to be managing this program in conjunction with NIST in that it would probably fall better under CISA, but CISA doesn't want to be that type of organization. No,
1: no, they don't.
0: So the next one down the chain is the
1: they FCC. don't want to be the. But they don't want to. CISA doesn't want to be the stick. They want to be the. We recommend they you wanna do this. They want to be the ball. Yeah. Ex- yes. <laughs> right. Yes.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I'm they want to set standards
3: in the Orange Book.
0: Yeah. just saying <laughs> yeah josh josh go ahead
3: they the assistant wants to set the standards and write the standards and they, they, they want to, want to be it. sort of they don't want to enforce it per se it's not their they don't feel like they're policemen and uh, yep. no, uh they 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 don't want to be the sanction side, right? So who can be the sanction side? Well, the FCC is not a bad choice. <laughs> they already have their sanctioned people in place. Anything that communicates to anything else wirelessly, uh, or, or even over wires, you can you can yeah with the cable
0: registry and
3: yep exactly. You can justify that under the FCC. I actually would think that's not a bad place to do the sanctions from.
1: But my thing is, who and- who manages the communications when something falls out of spec? That ah, no so that's longer, gonna have
3: to be a requirement of yeah, cyber trust market, Yeah, I agree. That a manufacturer has uh, to manufacturer, distributor, or whatever.
1: The user needs to be notified when something is no longer
3: secure. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Absolutely agreed with you. Yep. What you but do, it has but to be what you part do of a after process.
1: what you do after that <laughs> point is really the that's the rub. Like you know, your family and friends that buy a, a secure Camera because it has the cyber whatever trust mark. C- cyber cyber trust mark stamp on it, and a year or two later it goes oh no longer a cyber trust mark. the the action and the responsibility falls on the on the user to go. Well, what I want to take that out of Lee, you're 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 ready you're mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you're agreeing with me right? At the As Elvis? the user then has to take it
3: yeah. take an action at that point. Yep. How do we
1: compel the well, user I'd to take like an action?
3: What I'd like to see is see, see cyber trust Mark come with a mandate. I said Lee, not Josh, but 3 your period. But anyway, so, Lee, go ahead.
2: So, so what I'm we're, what we're dancing around part of it is is, is, is consumer education, and we have to yes. teach people to read right. for the cyber trust Mark, right? To not buy to buy the product that's got the the good mark on it. Um, I'm worried that the vote fo- that what's going to happen is people will get the manufacturers will get the trust mark. And the trustmark product will be fifty nine ninety five, and the unmarked product will be thirty nine ninety five, and yeah. nobody's going to pay the twenty bucks right. extra. Right.
0: And for yeah, the and, mark. and part and part of that is too is that the initial folks going into the cyber trustmark are folks like Amazon, Google, Samsung, the big yeah. names that can support the pen yeah. testing and the analysis of firmware of all these devices, looking for, you know, incorrect configuration and static passwords and all of these types of things. Whereas like these little manufacturers from from China they're not going to spend the extra money to go through the cyber trust mark program and then it's going to be cheaper because of those types of things
1: and then there we are like i i use real link at home and yep. that's the the other you know side of that coin is i use real link at home when amazon prime day happened i got 30% 40% off new Link cameras mm-hmm. so Tyler and I bought a whole bunch more mm-hmm. and sure extra coverage oh they're not cyber trust mark like whatever I just got 30 40 percent off <clears throat> yep. you know those Some, those devices like who who cares like I, I don't know we're yeah. we're also <clears throat> anomalies in that we're like I chose that system because it has a certain feature privacy set. feature set but also privacy like it doesn't talk to the cloud the yep. kind of thing like yep. i you know um, there's a whole architecture decision that went into uh, right. other, selecting that. I, so
0: I think the one thing that Lee touched on was it comes about user education. Yeah. And I and I am personally afraid, and you know, in the first take of the podcast with Eric, uh, the Internet of Threats um, podcast by Finite State, um, we did a recording and power went out and we lost the recording. And in the initial take that left on the cutting room floor was a discussion around like,
1: <laughs> the, Pe- the cutting room floor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pe- uh, I've been there, dude. I, people I feel you.
0: people think about the label on a mattress, mm-hmm. the one that says "Do not remove." Right. But people don't realize you can actually remove that tag from the mattress. They're like, "There's no." It, it says removal of this t- m- label mattress, will result in f- piece of furniture f- will result in federal fines but, and uh, but, blah, blah blah. But also this. But, but let, me, let me. But what people don't realize is that that mattress is there for the consumer to know that. What's in the mattress is certified and it's not going to catch on fire. And the only one that can remove it is the end consumer. Right. But all the end consumer says, it says, don't remove this tag. So they leave the tag on there. And the the question is is going to be like, are the people going to say cyber trust mark? Yeah, I'm not really going to read this thing. And I'm not, I'm going to buy the one that has cyber trust mark on it and not realize a year from now that that cyber trust mark rating is a one. Because but the I manufacturer
1: come, didn't do what they really should. But have. I come down to like when you buy a TV, I think the UL rating, the way I simplistically <clears throat> lay that out for people, Cyber, look, Cyber UL, not even Cyber UL. Let's just say UL. Yeah, we're staring at seven TVs hanging on the wall. Uh huh. They likely have a UL rating, and that in order to achieve that UL certification, Samsung is the provider of our TVs. Mm-hmm. They had here, to meet. They had to meet a minimum bar. They had to meet a minimum bar and one of those minimum bars is this tv is not going to catch fire right Mm. and so we bought these tvs we acquired these tvs through whatever means and we didn't necessarily shop for (laughs) am i buying a tv that's not going to catch fire am i buying one that isn't going to catch fire i'm just buying a tv and trusting that there's a government body that has made sure the manufacturer mm-hmm. is not going to deliver me a product that's not going to catch fire. Because yep. no one wants any of these seven TVs in here to catch nope. fire. There's, there's been, some, there's at, been right? some
0: comparison to this, uh, like Energy Star ratings.
1: Yeah, yeah. So because the consumers like,
0: like yeah, I'm going to buy the fridge. The rating money.
1: I think the ratings work when they're geared towards the manufacturers. To achieve that certification, and there's a, a gate or a bar mm-hmm. in order to sell a product, yep. you got to meet this minimum standard. The consumer, whatever, is going to shop on price, whatever, but whatever price the consumer shops at for a TV, mm-hmm. UL is making sure that shit doesn't catch on fire. Yep. Right?
3: I but, want c- the same thing I, for but, cameras. But I can I make buy a sure. TV
0: that's cheaper, that's not UL certified?
3: Yep. You probably could. And it makes Gee, look at the mindset. The mindset of a UL certification is that it lasts for the lifetime of the device. Yeah. You don't have to retest the Samsung TV Same thing with the Energy year. Star.
0: Same thing with the Energy it, Star stuff. Exactly. It gets that rating and it doesn't change this, for the life of the device.
1: The difference is this, not, when it catches fire, this, I notice it catches fire. Yep. When someone hacks into my camera, I may not if notice. If you're, you're home, home. Mm-hmm. and if you're home, right?
0: Also also that UL rating is in a certain set of fixed conditions. Like, yeah. if you plug that TV in outside in a rainstorm, it just catch fire. fire. Yeah, yeah we yeah. didn't test for that. Seems, But on the converse with the cyber trust mark is that the intent is that we know that the landscape changes and mm. that that cyber trust mark score can change, which is why that QR code is incredibly important for that national registry. Look,
1: I, I, I really hope that we can reach a point where we can have consumers buy stuff based on what's more secure yes for them because there is be nice there's an inherent threat and risk to having these devices in our environment that are vulnerable and attackers can take over right i just i hope we find a way just like our peloton i want to find a way but, where but they don't care and so it needs
4: to be something that's transparent to them you know, the correct, the whatever, correct. It it yeah. Whatever a, certification right. body's got to have, you know, yeah. other, and, other things in mind. And, and that I, the consumer, and it could be the, uh, and, and this includes the enterprise.
0: And I, uh, and I joke,
4: doesn't doesn't care about,
0: I joke, I joke about the, the Peloton thing. Cause like we were talking about how much the Peloton thing was FUD. And this ties mm-hmm. into some of that, um, the initial stab by NIST, uh, FCC and this program is to target, um, High risk devices such as consumer routers, Wi-Fi access points, and industrial control system devices. Mm. And and Peloton. Nope, no Peloton. No Peloton. <laughs> no Peloton. <laughs> and and it was the other like one there's too? There's literally millions of
1: devices that fall outside of that scope. Yep. You think about cameras yeah. and yep, Sonos
0: systems
1: and all the but stuff. And in the, your...
0: the interesting one that we picked up on was like, hey, like. The intent is that the consumer has a choice in which they can buy. And if we're including ICS, like a power meter, the consumer doesn't, doesn't have a choice, that, right. but there is a consumer that does have a choice and that's right. the, the, provi- the energy provider. Also, with the explosion of solar, consumers can start to have a choice as to which device they pr- choose and which rating right. and which track record. Because I think about all of the converters and the inverters that we put in for Mm -hmm. our solar system. Fire is a concern. There was actually two choices for connected devices, depending on which way we went. And Mm -hmm. I might have chosen differently if one of them had had a cyber trust mark and one of them did not. No, I agree. You would have. have. Most
1: people may not. (laughs) How many other people wouldn't? they choose what's what's cheaper. Yep. 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 Paul, wrap this up. Yeah, Yeah, we need to wrap this up. Please,
0: please. I'm, oh. I'm happy we got our Cyber Trust Mark stuff in. I think that I'd oh my, argue I argue that should be the last don't one. Don't do one more story. No, don't do just... one more. I think that I, I was did... the one more.
1: Well I think there was one I wanted to just mention on the <laughs> way on the way out. Uh which was the best one I want to mention on the way out. Um it is uh is it IoT? Maybe maybe it's AI for firmware reversing.
0: Yes, I saw this. Have you heard
1: of a, a um, Ameba? Um, Emba, Emba, Emba is a firmware reverse engineering framework. They yep. recently added AI. Yep. I AI, just saw this. AI solves everyone's problems, Jeff. Right? Yep.
0: It, it does. I, I actually opened this. It's open on a tab on my work laptop. Yeah. So, yep.
1: I did see That's this. That's a good one. It. it I it sleep hits better our... at
4: night knowing that AI is in control. It's
0: not in control. We did have
1: also my story number five. Make sure you read exploiting microtick router OS based on our our conversation we had just now. Kind of speaks to Lee had that story as well. Yeah, some of that threat. So
5: well,
4: and I'd also like to highlight my my story number four, which was I don't have any stories. Oh, okay,
0: never (laughs) mind. I was like, I gotta refresh. Oh, Jeff doesn't have any stories. On that note,
1: thank you everyone for listening and watching this edition of Paul Security Weekly. Larry, take us out over.
0: And out.
1: Cybertrust Mark.
0: Yay. (laughs)